Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. in the crypt. My father never talked about her. Keeping the torch lit through the long night, it's Game of Microphones. With Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, and Lady Rachel of House Fox. Seven blessings, piss drunk story embellishers and resurrected crows, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, Seeker in the Nightlands. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, cooking connoisseur of kidney pies. And this is episode 94. On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, season six, episode two, Home. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. If not, there's still time to have your head smashed against the wall and popped like a pimple so you don't have to hear these spoilers. <laughs> Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Oh man, this is one of my favorite episodes. How about you, Lady Rachel? I love it. There's so, so much many good, good things. Yeah. Like, where do you, where do you even begin? Like, seriously. I don't know, but Tyrion has some great uh, one-liners in this. Is that where your number five is? <laughs> My number five is I drink and I know things. Nice. <laughs> so it's kind of his whole um, discussion with Varys and Masande and 
also the the catacombs when he goes and talks to the dragons killer that's my number four is the dragons with Tyrion. oh cool so why don't we collab maybe i'll talk about the chambers and you can talk about the dragons. sure cool um so Tyrion comes in and he pours himself a glass of wine and you know kind of cheers us to everybody who's not drinking <laughs> Because if I had lost my cock, I'd drink all the time. <laughs> and yeah, it's like he didn't realize that Grey Worm was also cockless for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, ooh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He looks over at Varys like, hey, like he's always jabbing at him. And Varys looks over at Grey Worm and Tyrion's like, oh, shit. No dispute. No, <laughs> sorry, no offense. Sorry. About that. <laughs> Took me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Varys is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, you know, you make eunuch jokes. I don't make j- dwarf jokes because right. you think them. It's <laughs> like, so the fleet, <laughs> it's been burned. Like enough of this nonsense. Yeah. He's just Time trying to get to, down to business. Yeah, yeah. He's just trying to like cast the blame off himself for being a dick a second ago, but like trying to claim that various is part of, you know, making fucked up jokes too. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Grey Worm says, you know, we're searching for the men who burned the ships, but nobody saw anything. And I thought that was kind of it's like, how could no one have seen ships like seriously so being many ships? lit on fire? There'd have to be people setting flames all over the place. So I was wondering who you think. Do we know who it is? Is it the masters that burn her ships? Um, I can't remember. Probably, though. Because I was thinking about this, I it I couldn't remember if we find out who burns her ships or not. But it's like her whole goal is to get back over to Westeros. So right. if the masters were smart, they shouldn't have burnt her ships. Give they should have ships. given her more ships <laughs> so she gets the heck out of town. Yeah, seriously. So I was kind of curious about get what the heck out of town. Get get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> Don't forget the fireball. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, David, I have a joke about fireball. Oh yeah. What, what, what about I it? make homemade eggnog during the Christmas season. Your mom's the one that takes the eggnog, not me. And <laughs> instead it's of putting guy. bourbon in our eggnog, we put the fireball in the eggnog and Dave always yells, don't forget the fireball. <laughs> so I had to put that in there. Fireball is the Captain Crunch of liquor. It like mm-hmm. s- screws up your throat like Captain Crunch messes it's up the roof of your mouth very cinnamony <laughs> cinnamon whiskey oh yeah it's bleh <laughs> on its own but it's good in, it's good in eggnog really good in eggnog nice yeah i bet yeah so back to the show <laughs> Tyrion's like well frick like surely there has to be good news lurking somewhere and Varys is like well ask to and young young kai have stopped asking for our aid and Tyrion has no clue and Varys is like, well, the masters have retaken both cities outside of Marine. The whole of Slavers Bay has returned to the slavers. And Tyrion's like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Not a good situation. So what about the dragons? We have two of them. And Masande sadly says they're basically very depressed. They seem to know that Daenerys is gone, which I found interesting because we know she has a connection with Drogon. Yeah, some type of like mental thing going on there. Like telepathy or... Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe the other dragons have it too, but the, the bond is strongest with Drogon. Yeah, it's possible. 
Um, so, cause they're not eating, they haven't touched any food since she left, not since they got put in the catacombs since she left. Right. So that's, that's what made me think that <laughs> they know. And Tyrion makes a good point. She, he's like, well, she's the dragon queen. We can't very well let the dragon starve. Yeah. That would be bad. She'd be so mad. So gray worms, like, how do we force them to eat? Yeah. What the fuck are we going to do about this? Yeah. Like they were going to force feed him. And Tyrion shows his, when, you know, his curiosity and fascinations with dragons and that he's very well read and knows a lot about this subject because he's studied them because he wanted one, which we find later on. Yeah. And it's about time that somebody enters the scene with Danny who has any knowledge about dragons and the processes of, you know, working with dragons and everything like that. She's been woefully ignorant of this whole subject her, you know, for her whole life, basically, unfortunately. Yeah. And so Masande is like, how do you know that they don't do well in captivity? And the best line I think of maybe the whole show, <laughs> that's what I do. I yeah. drink and I know things. Yeah. <laughs> and he sips off the rest of his wine and walks over and gets some, gets some more wine. He goes on to say that Aegon used dragons to conquer Westeros and use them kind of like in a wide range, like over hundreds of miles. And then... Danny's ancestors started chaining them up in pens. A few generations later, the last dragons were no larger than a cat. They must be unchained or they're waste away. Masande, how many times have you been in the company of these dragons? She's like, many times. He's like, they've never hurt you. She says no. And I, I liked the I liked the history lesson here. Yeah, definitely. It's um the first time we ever kind of hear about why the dragons were as small as cats at the end we've we've heard this before from Tyrion, or not from Tyrion, but from tywin telling joffrey about the skulls and i think viserys told the whore about it too in the bathtub oh that's right she's like it's so sad he's like well, why did i hire you to make me sad you know that's right yeah i forgot about that <laughs> scene um so we know now that it's because they were confined. And I think you brought this up on a previous episode that that's why Viserion and Rhaegal are much smaller than Drogon is because they were held in captivity for a while. Yeah. I mean, Drogon was bigger to start with, but that definitely had an effect. Yeah. So Tyrion goes on to say, you know, dragons are intelligent, more intelligent than men, according to some maesters. They have affection for their friends and fury for their enemies. I am their friend. <laughs> yeah, is that, is that varies is like, um, they, do they know that? Like, <laughs> you're just going to walk in there, man? Yeah, and he goes, they will. It's time they had their supper. Ah, and he's he going to bring them food. sips the rest of his wine and puts it down and walks off. And I think he has to be pretty drunk to come up with a, a plan like this to go into the catacombs yeah probably <laughs> take a lot of alcohol even for him um i like the point that how he figured out that the dragons are smart and confirmed it by verifying with masande that they're like that they treat their allies with respect um and yeah definitely 
was really cool. And he probably saw that at the dragon pit when the dragon turned and did not roast Daenerys with his fire, just screamed right in her face. Or roast any of them. Right, yeah. So he's been picking up on these little details and he's like, hmm, you know, if, if Drogon didn't roast us, then they can recognize friend and foe to some extent, at least to the people that they're familiar with, then maybe I can get away with it, you know? <laughs> I mean... yeah. To be fair, though, Viserion and Rhaegal haven't met him before, so he's still taking a big risk. But um, But this is where, you know, I think the theory of him being a Targaryen kind of really comes into play because we also see this kind of same situation. The only other two people, aside from Danny, to ever touch a dragon is Tyrion and Jon. Yeah. So Jon's a Targaryen. So, you know, it... I think it, that theory is alive and well. Yeah, that's it's yeah, totally alive and well, definitely. And I know that uh, LML has a lot of information about that. A whole episode of the mythical astronomy of ice and fire, um, I think called Tyrion Targaryen, where he breaks down all kinds of details about that theory. It's really good. Nice. Um, I like that podcast. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, right? It is. Um. Tyrion is so fucking gangster, man. In this episode, it's legendary. <laughs> yeah. Walking into that into that dragon pit down there in the catacombs. It looks so creepy in there. Yeah. They both have those cool torches lit. I love their torches. I love the fire, the way the firelight crawls up the wood. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Totally. And Varys has some big balls. I mean, he has no balls, but he's got metaphorical balls by, you know, just by entering that, those catacombs at all. He's like, he's like, I'm staying up on the stairs here, but he still went in there at all. That's, that's fucking seriously ballsy. Yeah. So Tyrion is like, um, they, they're these big expansive catacombs and Tyrion's walking down the steps and it's just a lone little flickering light entering this massive chasm of darkness and it's a big space and Tyrion's a little guy and it's just accentuating how alone and helpless he is in the, in this unknown that he's entering really cool visual way of showing the the situation. So he walks in there and he's moving further and further into the darkness. And all of a sudden you see a couple of shadows lurking the glint off of one of their eyes on the right and one of them opens up his mouth and you first see him by the fires burning inside of his throat. Oh, I love this. So cool, right? Oh, oh my God. I love it. Right? It like lights up his whole mouth and yeah. it's like deep kind of like indigo blue in Beautiful. the center. And Tyrion's I like, oh it. shit. Oh fuck. <laughs> but he doesn't fire. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, shoot the fire at least. Uh, so Tyrion just starts talking with him. I'm friends with your mother. You know, and he's he's got such a calm, like sweet voice here. And he's talking to Rhaegal here. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. True. And he's like, "I'm here to help. Don't eat the help." Don't eat the help. (laughs) Just the funniest (laughs) way that he says that. (laughs) We don't eat the help, Rhaegal. I love all of his liners in this whole like marine situation yeah. in this episode in particular. Yeah, it's so sick and Rhaegal's growling at him and he's like, "Oh man, you know, retreating a little bit like just taking a couple steps back at first, but then he becomes more bold again after um Rhaegal still doesn't attack him and he starts to move forward again." 
approaching Rhaegal, telling a story now about when he was a child and his uncle wanted to know what kind of birthday present he would want you know, for, for his name day. I like the little language changes that they do. I love the concept of name day. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so he's, he's saying that he, he, all he wanted was a dragon and it wouldn't even have to be a big one. It could be little, just like him, which is I love like that. beautiful and heartbreaking all at once. And I found it kind of interesting, too, because the last dragons were little. Yeah, that's true. And it also shows that Tyrion's not like a greedy kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool. That's, that's true. This is a little bit about him. So uh, everybody laughed at him because they all knew that dragons had been dead for like forever, basically, at this point, for over 100 years. And <laughs> Tyrion is approaching closer and closer as he's telling Rhaegal that it, it, the death of the dragons made him so sad that, you know, he, he cared so much about the dragons that he cried himself to sleep that night. And Rhaegal must be able to just feel the emotion and the love for the dragons coming off of Tyrion as he extends his hand out and touches Rhaegal on the neck. Now, I know that they understand some words, like some language, because sure. Danny talks to them. So it's and with however they can kind of like, I feel like read minds in a way, especially Danny's. Yeah, that's interesting. They're, I think it's all kind of like an energy telepathy, like yeah. intelligent enough to know language, but can't speak it themselves. You know, totally. Like, like Tyrion says, they're potentially smarter than humans. <laughs> because Viserion, he doesn't even need to like do anything. Viserion's like, oh, you're yeah, here exactly. to free me and I'm going to like help you out. I'm going to lean down and so you can grab my collar. Yeah, exactly. He sees him free Rhaegal and he's like... Me too, me too. <laughs> and Tyrion sort of marvels at that and when he like he leans his head to the side and bears his neck to Tyrion to undo the chain and Tyrion kind of co like cocks his head like, wow, these guys are really are smart. It's pretty amazing. And I love the detail of these dragons. Yes. They're not just a cookie cutter like dragon from like they all look the same they each have their own kind of like facial features like Viserion was kind of a had like a narrower and longer head Ooh. than Rhaegal did and I mean just the amount of detail of that skin and the ripple effect yeah, when those, they breathe the little uh, frilly things moving <laughs> frilly yeah spikes. I don't even know what to call them yeah so cool Whiskers, scales so badass he so like amazingly the, the dragons are cool with him and it's like remarkable how quickly it is between the time he walks up to them and between the time he initiates contact physically with them i love the way peter dinklage played this too when he puts his hand on him and he's just like i can't believe you're here like yeah, he's like there you but are here you are here you are <laughs> and like you can just tell that how much he has like felt connected to the concept of dragons and he's just always thought they were so cool and wanted nothing more to, than to see one when he was little and we know from other you know sources that he he's had dragon dreams when he was a kid and everything like that and that's common mm. among targaryens for sure um interesting yeah so he pulls that pin and Rhaegal is free and and like you said he turned he he out of you know from behind him Viserion is growling at him and he turns kind of a little bit frightened but then nope instead of being aggressive Viserion just cocks his head to the side <laughs> revealing the uh, the big clamp around his neck 
And, I love uh, that. It was interesting how when he, he finally releases Viserion's bonds as well, they both just scurry off into the darkness together. Yeah. <laughs> the two dragons is interesting. How do you, how do they get out of there? They look too big to get out of that door that, that um, Tyrion well, and Varys came through. They, okay. So they aren't freed here. He's just taking them out of their chains. True. Um, because they bust through the the stone wall oh, during when Danny's writing right. Drogon, and yes, that's definitely telepathic. Yeah, so that's how they get out. This part is really cool in the books. The description of them like being like trapped inside of the uh, the catacombs, and they're like <sighs> like blowing fire on the walls and like trying to melt their way out and stuff. It's pretty oh, epic. Oh, really? Yeah, it's so cool. Crazy. Yeah, this is, this is such a good scene. And then mm-hmm. Tyrion has another one-liner to Varys as he walks back up the steps. (laughs) Next time I have an idea like that, punch me in the face. Yeah, and the whole time that he's approaching Varys, um, Varys is standing there on the steps with with his eyes wide, just looking astonished. Yeah, just completely awestruck at how (laughs) fucking baller Tyrion is. what just happened? Yeah, the ultimate gangster. I mean, one of the cool lines from the books is that even a small man can cast a large shadow. Ooh, I love that. And I think that Tyrion in that dark chamber with that torch just cast a really huge shadow like, yeah. with, with his capabilities and what he was able to do here. For sure. Super impressive. Very. Be hard to, uh, you know, most people couldn't fill those boots right there. No, that takes a lot of, a lot of guts for sure. Yeah, really impressive. So uh, when he said, I haven't, next time I have an idea like that, punch me in the face, <laughs> it made me think, oh man, it sounds like Tyrion is sort of missing the Mormont way. Long oh, yeah. silences and an occasional, an occasional punch, punch, in, the punch face. in the face. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Totally. Ugh, I need a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. I think that'd be awesome. <laughs> I have a coffee mug that says I drink and I know things. Nice. I have one that says stick them with the pointy end. Mostly I have wine glasses that say for Fox sake on them. Or intoxicated. <laughs> <In Fox-ic-ed. laughs> My favorite is intoxicated. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you want to add for your number five? This could possibly be one of my like top 10 favorite scenes. Yes, I would have to agree. It's really, really awesome. I have, I just have written down a number of times in this episode, like this is one of my favorite episodes. Like, oh my God, so much cool stuff is happening. This is fucking legendary. I have. <laughs> yeah. Like it, I, I love every part of it. We get awesome close-ups of the dragons. We get amazing CGI. We get amazing acting from Peter Dinklage. Yeah. I mean, the whole the whole scenery and the creepiness of the catacombs. The lighting and... Uh, the beautiful torches. I mean, it's quite incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. For a very short... It's very short, you know? It's Yeah, so much happens. Too. <laughs> and then Tyrion's just awesome one-liners that just make it even better. Mm-hmm. So cool. This was fantastic to see for the first time. Yeah. So what is your number five? My number five is the storyteller, a.k.a. the mountain head smash number two. 
<laughs> okay. Awesome. Let me find that. Oh man, I just fucking think that this scene is so funny. Every time yes. it just cracks me up. This guy is hilarious. Embellishing this story about when Cersei's Cersei's doing her shame walk. Half inch shy of an inch. <laughs> yeah. Insulting <laughs> Jamie and just talking shit and generally saying that he she showed his dick to to uh, Cersei as she was doing her shame walk and uh, that she licked her lips, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's hilarious. She licked her lips. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, great. Man. I like his line at the end there when he's 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 so full of shit. You can tell he's just like oozing with bullshit. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's wasted too. And he's just like he's like you all know me. You know I wouldn't lie about this. <laughs> I'm just like, "Oh my god. You yeah. would totally lie about this." I like when he does so I put it right out there and he like lays his arm out like <laughs> <laughs> Right. She's never oh, seen anything god. like it. I mean, she's used to the Kingslayer. Oh, it's great. So then it cuts to the alley later on in the evening and it's, it's dark and he's relieving himself, taking a piss in the alley. And he is cocked at this point. He's wasted, stumbling around a little bit and you don't see it, but you hear it clink, 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 clink approaching (laughs) (laughs) and it stops right behind him and he turns around still taking a piss and, uh, and I love the sound you hear uh, of the, the, the pee hitting the, the armor, <laughs> hitting oh, yeah. Gregor's feet. And if Gregor wasn't already going to kill him ruthlessly, um, he definitely now earned he it by pissing all over on. his armor. Yeah. No way he's making it out of this. This guy is so drunk. So drunk. He can't he's even like, stand Duh. up. <laughs> and the look on his face is hilarious. And the just the effortless speed and force displayed by the mountain here, it's mesmerizing. And the guy's head just pop like all over the wall. And, oh, it's man. crazy. I follow that actor on social media. The guy whose head got popped or the mountain? The mountain. Oh, okay, okay. Um Thor, I yeah. think his name is. Half or half Thor Bjornson. Bjornson. Yeah, because he's big in the fitness world. Oh, yeah. And I love following his, like, he's super inspiring to be, like, a heavy power lifter. He's so fucking strong. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. It's so cool. So (laughs) this this is not far-fetched for him just to, like, pop his head against the wall like a pimple. It's so funny. We we know that this is one of his favorite ways to kill people because he killed Mm -hmm. Elia Martell like this. We saw him kill the mountain, the uh, the viper like this. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like a little... Yeah. And he, this time, this time is just so effortless. It just cracks me up. Like it's horrible what he's doing, but I don't know. It's just hilarious to me. I know. And, uh, I, I've probably watched this clip more than any other clip from the show. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm weird. Um, maybe this, or maybe when John kills the white Walker, I don't know. I just keep showing this clip to people. Cause I think it's so funny. Oh my God. <laughs> is there anything else you want to add about this scene? No, it's funny. Yeah, and then he just walks off all casually. <laughs> yeah, he's like, doo-doo-doo. Ever silent, his oath. It's great. So uh, what's your number four? My number four is 1-1. One, one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the wildlings coming to save the day. Yes. 
So we're up at Castle Black. All of the Night's Watch members allied to Alistair are standing there with crossbows and swords. And yep. Alistair's at the door and he goes, it's time, Sir Davos. Open the door and the men inside can rejoin their brothers in peace. We'll even set the wolf free in the north where it belongs. <laughs> He's really trying to get them to just come out. Yeah. You, you think they'd kill him if they just came out? I I think not. Really? You think they would actually let him go and let, let <laughs> Ghost go north? The reason why I think that is because they are down so many men. That they just don't want to fight and potentially lose anybody else? That they just don't want to, like, lose more. But at the same time, why do, like, 30 people need to be armed with arrows armed and drawn back at, at a door with like six people in it. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think? I'm not sure either. Yeah. I, I really don't know. It's hard to tell. I'm really not sure Alistair wants to fight over it. Yeah. I'm glad that they stood up for themselves though and didn't give in and just like leave with their tails behind their legs, protecting yeah. John's body and whatnot. For sure. So, I love that Davos grabs Longclaw. I thought that yeah, was kind of cool. I have that down too. Like that's significant because um, because John ends up naming Davos his hand, right? Oh yeah, I think Does so. Does he officially do that? I mean, like he's introducing him to Daenerys and stuff like that. I I don't see that he's like has a badge or anything. I really can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. But either way, John, he's acting as his advisor. Yeah, he's acting like his number two guy kind of there. And uh, this symbolically sort of represents that. Like if John's absent, Davos is holding his sword. Oh, I like thing. that. Yes. Awesome. And apparently Northern Kings don't name hands. So John has not officially made Davos his hand. So he goes, apologies for what you're about to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's I'm not never much been of much a fighter. Of a fighter. <laughs> great. So Alistair uh, signals to his men to chop the door down. And as they're chopping the door down, Oh, I love ghost here growling and like snarling and chomping. Yeah. And, he's like uh, ready to fucking go. So cool that when Davos unsheaths Longclaw and everybody just draws their blades. And, I and think, you know, Alistair hears yeah, that. That's, yeah, I think that's what triggers him to be like, okay, bring in the, the hammer or the axe or whatever that is. Yeah, like they're not going to go down. They're going to protect Jon Snow even when he's dead, ride or die. Yeah. Kind of like the Blood Riders. In yeah, it's way. pretty awesome. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. So as they're pounding down the door, axing the door, the wildlings start beating down the door and one one comes bursting in. And the Night's Watch... They're just like, dude, fuck this. I'm not fighting. Like, no one wants to fight. This is why I think maybe they didn't want to fight to begin with, because they don't fight the wildlings here either. They're just like, you know what? It's pretty fucked up that Alistair killed the Lord Commander. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't feel like dying tonight over something like this. Then that one guy just tries to shoot one one. Everybody's yeah. standing down like, ah, oh, this doesn't seem like a good idea. And We're pretty Alistair's outnumbered. And like, attack, attack. And <laughs> everyone's just like, no. And so one one gets shot in the shoulder and picks this guy up and just rails him against the wall. Ragdolls him. Throws him in front of Alistair like, seriously? Yeah, you And Alistair's go. just like, oh my God. I like how the scenario essentially gets reversed on the mutineers. They go from trying to bash in a door themselves to some people who are confined in a in a small area to all of a sudden the their their door that's protecting all of them being smashed in by an even bigger group of people and <laughs> a bigger hammer oh basically. That's so true. That's hilarious. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. And I love how Alter says to Ed, you fucking traitor. And it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, you're the traitor. Yeah. Like, you just killed your Lord Commander. Yeah. How is that not treason? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Dolores Ed's like, he's like, the only traitors here, you know, are the ones that fucking killed John, basically. Shoved the knives into their Lord Commander's heart. Which is why we're here being traitors to you. You know, we're doing what's right. Yeah. Oh, that also, I wanted to say that one, one scene where he smashes that guy against the wall. It's it's like super metal moment. (laughs) It's pretty intense for sure. Gotta love Dolores Ed, man. He's on point. Yes, he is. Yeah. And so Alistair's like, for thousands of years, the Night's Watch has held Castle Black against the Wildlings. Torment says, until you. Yeah, and that's so cool because it's not because of John that that Castle Black is overrun here. The Wildlings respected John and would have left Castle Black alone because of John, because John led him through the wall. Yep. But... Alistair became a traitor and killed John, and that's essentially an act against the wildlings. That, like, that's the reason that they invaded Castle Black was to defend John's honor. Yeah, and not to, to defend not to the, kill. Yeah, and to defend the the order, like the justice at the at the wall, basically at Castle Black. 
the the, the the wildlings are doing the job of justice here. Totally. Yeah, it's quite it's crazy. Ed goes, throw them in the cells where they belong. Yeah, and I'm like, yes. Yes. And I love <laughs> how they grab Ollie to him like fuck. <laughs> you little fuck. Oh, it's so, so funny. And then Tormund goes up to see John and he's looking at John and it's so sad. You can see it on his face. He's like genuinely kind of moved in this moment. And we know kind of how he feels about death. Like, you know, the dead can't hear you. The dead, you know, don't need our prayers kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. but he stands there and kind of lingers like, man, yeah. this hurts. And he like sort of winces. You can see at one point after he says took a lot of knives, which I liked because it's, it's like showing John respect. Like, you know, he didn't go down easily. Yeah. Um, he, he winces which he and didn't. sort of blinks. Yeah, for sure. Stayed standing for a super long time. Um, and he has a creep, like a kind of foreboding or line coming up to where he's like, I'll have my men get wood for a fire, bodies to burn. And I was just like, oh shit, bodies to burn. That's a crazy thing to yeah. say because there's John, but what is he thinking? Also, they're going to have to burn the traitors after they get executed. Um, also the, there were a couple casualties. Oh, true, true, true. Like the guy that one, one killed. Yeah, and then there were a couple more, like when it first begun, and then they were just kind of like, "No, this isn't worth it. Like, true, true. I'm not going to die for this." Yeah, just yeah, chilling, man. It was cool. Yeah, so that's my number four. Nice. Yeah, luckily it didn't end up with uh, too many casualties for the Black Brothers, which is pretty good. I noticed. I'm pretty sure a mess up. So in one of the earlier scenes, a couple episodes ago. The stab wound that Ollie did was lower on John, like underneath his pec. Oh, and when Tormund's looking at him, it's like on his pec muscle, huh. like above, like, like about maybe four inches higher. <laughs> so a little continuity error, perhaps. That's funny. Yeah, I got to take a closer look at that. I, I need to go back and double check to make sure, but it, I noticed it because we just watched it was in the last episode mm-hmm. that they showed his wounds oh, right. as well. So I'm pretty sure I'll have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure that's a little continuity error. Good catch. Yeah. So I know your number four was the dragons. So yep. what is your number three? Ah, uh, my number three matey is the pirates of Pike. <laughs> okay. The death of Balon Greyjoy. Euron Greyjoy. Yeah, and the end of the War of Five Kings. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Where the fifth king meets his finality. So, oh, and what a miserable place Pike looks. Yeah, like oh, it in looks a so storm. cool, man. It's so crazy and creepy. I love yeah. Pike. The wooden bridges I love it. between these, like, these trashed towers and stuff. Oh, man. Uh, and it, it's like the castle is literally built into the the stones out in the water. Yeah, it's like built into onto the terrain, like is jutting up from these individual stone mounds. Exactly. There's no foundation. It's built seamlessly into this natural kind of occurring structure. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's awesome. Really cool. Oh, and the wind and the rain and ooh, I love it. Yeah. 
So Balon's talking with Yara to start, and they're having disagreements about the, strate- the strategy that the Iron Islands should take from here on out. Balon wants to conquer in inwards um, into the land, and Yara's like, listen, that's not going to work. Like, <laughs> last time that happened, we got fucked, basically. Yeah. Fucked hard by Robert and Ned and <laughs> Ned Thoros and everybody. Jorah and yeah. everybody was there. The whole the whole crew. Yeah, and the two other heirs were killed, and Theon was taken, and uh, Balon's just like you know not getting it. Basically, he's stubborn about trying to get his crown that he's wanted for so long, and he, this is his, his his shot now. All these, you know, he says. The War of Five Kings, they call it. Well, the other four are dead. You know, like, I'm the one king that's left. Stannis is dead. Joffrey's dead. Rob's dead. Renly's dead. I'm the only one that's left, and now is my chance. Yep. And so, it's like, when you're, you know, when you rule, you can do whatever the hell you want, basically. I thought that was cool because it, it meant that, from his perspective, she would be next in the line of succession, which yep. would be interesting for the Iron Islands, like um, like Aaron Damper says coming up that like women has never ruled them before, right? Well, and they also have the what do they call it? Um, the King's Moot. The yeah, the King's Moot. I think in the books there hadn't been a King's Moot for a couple hundred years, so it oh. seems like they're like their traditions may be different from the books of the show. Or they're slighting her because she's a woman. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that I think so that's a big part that of it. Card. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Here. It's like kind of like okay, well, we've had heirs and heirs and heirs of this line that's worked for us, but you know, we'll let it slide. But now that a woman is in succession, we're going to pull this this trump card essentially. Right. Yeah, somebody demanded a king's moot in the books. Maybe it was Aaron or uh, Euron or something. I can't remember exactly. I think it was. I think it was Euron. Mm. I think I remember because I listened to some other podcasts. They were talking about this um, from a book perspective, and I'm pretty sure it was Euron that yeah, they were talking about. I think so, too. So Balon's like, he's all like pissed off and he goes to do whatever, leaves the room, basically. And he's going to go from one tower to the next tower to do it. And he's got to cross one of these <laughs> sketchy ass rope bridges. In a freaking wind rainstorm. Yeah, there's this gnarly storm outside. This rickety ass bridge. Swinging all over the place. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to go on that bridge. <laughs> I think I would. It's kind of cool. I have total vertigo when I am in heights and that I would have to crawl and close my eyes. And crawl. Oh, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> so Balon isn't quite that bad, but he's definitely not sturdy. <laughs> And he, he's walking out there and swaying back and forth and grabbing onto the rope. And then he looks up and there's a shadowy figure standing about 20 feet ahead of him on the bridge, arms crossed, not even using the ropes, uh, you know, to stabilize himself. Standing there because he has sea legs. He's got sea legs, matey. And so uh, he's like, move aside for your king. You know, get the hell out of my way, basically. And the guy doesn't move. But he says, I always have moved aside, haven't I, brother, basically. And he pulls down his hood, and it's Euron Greyjoy, his next youngest brother, I believe. And uh, Balon's like, what the hell is he doing here? He, he's been away forever, basically, sailing around the world, exploring the doom and going all over the place. He says, from Old Town to Carth. When men see my sails, they pray, because I am the drowned god, which is fucking badass. Yeah. 
Uh, when I first saw this as a first time viewer, I was like, who is this? Right. Like, what the fuck? How'd I had no idea there? who it was because we don't really get much of a background on him. Mm-hmm. He just kind of appears out of nowhere. Yeah, totally. Just shows up all of a sudden. Like if you haven't read the books, you have no idea who this person is. <laughs> totally. For like a couple episodes. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was funny how... Um, because somebody got resurrected in this episode, right? At the end, obviously. So this part's interesting because Balon's like, I thought you'd be rotting under some foreign sea by now. And Euron replies, what is dead may never die. And I was like, whoa, has he been resurrected before? But then oh. I realized that um, what is dead may never die is like, you know, it's part of the words basically of their of the drowned god religion. So it's pretty commonly said, but... It's, you know, who knows? Maybe he was resurrected or something like that, too. Maybe it's a subtle hint because this is what this is the episode that John is re- resurrected in. Is yeah. that where you're going? Yeah, basically, because I mean, that's what he's implying is that he's dead by, you know, like he's basically saying I am dead. So uh, he he Balon, interestingly, is like cowed by this or doesn't respond in the typical ironborn fashion you know when somebody says that you you reply with that as well basically so euron's like what the fuck has the custom changed and balon accuses him of mocking the drowned god and that's when he says no i am the drowned god they pray when they see my sails it's like tam and at this point the the bridge is like jangling back and forth basically and balon is gripping the rope and euron is just standing there chuckling laughing at him as he tries to hold his balance and it's, it's plain to see who's, who's the more sturdy of these two. And it's obviously, so. you know, physically showing us who's the most fit, which is <laughs> your old brother. Yeah. Like a fossil. Yeah. And it's survival of the fittest here for sure. So like he says, yeah, you're old. You've had your time. Now let another rule. So he's basically telling him like, stand down, step down and let me rule. And mm-hmm. Balon's like, are you fucking out of your mind showing up here and telling me to give up my kingship to you, basically? Like, I, I was just about to try to conquer more of Westeros. <laughs> I'm not giving this to you. So we learn about how he went mad during a storm and then cut out the tongues of his of his crew on his boat after they had lashed him to the mast during this monstrous storm so he wouldn't throw himself overboard. And he just needed silence afterwards. So he cut out all their tongues, basically, which is crazy. That's so intense. Yeah, and Balon's like, what kind of ironborn loses his senses during a storm? Like, you, you're pathetic, you know? And like, just like he had already said, he is the drowned God. He, he said, he says now I am the storm brother. <laughs> <laughs> He's everything. <laughs> the first storm and the last. I like that line. It was kind of cool. Yeah. And you're in my way. And they both sort of step towards each other. And Balon goes to grab a knife out of his belt. And Euron just grabs him in one motion and tips him over the side of the bridge. And I love the special effects here as Balon tumbles and tumbles downwards, spinning head over heels a number of times. Ah! Yeah, and <laughs> splashes. Splash. So cool. Just like Miranda. Yeah, good call. Totally. That's so funny. It reminded me of Chef in South Park, too. I think the way that Chef died. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, just great special effects. Cool scene. And then Euron standing there, like, collecting himself afterwards. Just sort of an interesting reaction to what he just did. Um, This is 
an episode where two people kill somebody close to them to take their power both Ramsey and Euron, these kind of insane people yeah. are killing their, their lord, kin. essentially. Their, their kin family. and superior. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting. Killing the next person in line of succession, theoretically. Yeah, precessor, predecessor, precessor. <laughs> One of those. Yeah. So then it cuts down to the beach, and Balon's body has been discovered. Which I thought was kind of interesting because there's a huge storm going on. He falls into the water. Right. The odds of him getting, like, found. Washed up to shore perfectly. Yeah. That's funny. Then there wouldn't be this scene, so we'll let go. (laughs) Yeah, he could have just gone missing forever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the current could have just washed his body away. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine there's, I mean, around where he fell, there's not many beaches, it doesn't look like. It's Mm -hmm. freaking spiky rocks yeah, totally. sticking out of the water. It's pretty gnarly. So this is where we get introduced to um, the another of Balon and Euron's brothers, Aaron Greyjoy, the damp hair, they call him. Because um, he's like... Oh, that's his brother? I didn't know that. Yeah, totally. That's cool. Mm-hmm. He's like uh, one of the drowned god priests, basically, and they're like obsessed with the water. So his hair is always like wet with the salt water, and they call him the damp hair. It's funny in the audiobooks, Roy Dotrice mispronounces it. He calls him the damp fair. <laughs> damp fair, because D A M P H A I R. He oh, misread funny. the P and the H as a f sound instead of separating them as two like they would damp two hair, words yeah. combined damp hair. Just kind of funny mispronunciation of that. Gotta love Roy. That's funny. Yeah. R-I-P. So uh yeah, totally R.I.P. So Yara is talking with Aaron and she swears by the salt throne that she's gonna find who did this and feed them to the sharks. And Aaron's pointing out that the, the salt throne is not hers to swear upon um that that's not how succession works in pike so she's gonna have to try to win the king's moot basically and we're like what the fuck is a king's moot <laughs> like, yeah. it's kind of a funny word it's basically a vote yeah so you got to make your case of why you should lead and uh compete against other people making their cases and yeah you will be elected essentially yeah. So he, you know, points it out that that's the law that Balon doesn't get to choose his successor and maybe she'll win. Maybe maybe she'll be the first person, first woman in history to rule the Ironborn and maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Yeah, convenient timing for Euron still, to show up. That's still left to be decided in season 8. Yeah, that's true. It's not looking good for her, unfortunately. No. It's not. Yeah. Anything else you want to add about this? No. All right. So what's your numero tres? My numero tres is the conversation between father and son. Ooh, Roos and Ramsey. Which is Tommen and Jamie. Oh, Tommen and Jamie. Gotcha. Yeah. And they're standing over Marcella's body. So here they are again, burying one of their family members. Yep. Again. Aside from John Aaron, it's Lannister. It's only Lannisters that we see with the eyes, the rock eyes. Oh, yeah. That's true. Interesting. 
So Tommen's looking at his sister who really did grow up. I mean, she looks, I know she's a different actress, but (laughs) that's so funny. (laughs) She did grow up and to Jamie's point, he's like almost, yeah, like she she almost quite grow up. Yeah. A little more than you. You're she'll get, she'll get older than you ever got Tommen, but (laughs) it's still. Yeah. And so he, Tommen, I like how he shows concern about Prince Tristane. He's like, yeah. have we caught their killers? He must have been like sleeping on that boat or something. He must have just. Been I don't know. I don't. That, I do ship. not know how the the sand snakes could have gotten there. Because he's painting her eyes in that when he gets killed. Oh shit! That's crazy. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah. So he's painting her eye rocks or rock eyes. I don't eye know what rocks. to call them. Stones. <laughs> which we do discover in this episode what those are meant for yeah, finally true. um <laughs> i love his sentiment here i expect it was mother <laughs> yeah that's crazy <laughs> he seems to be harboring it's some like, hostility towards her yeah, for a minute here because i think he deep down knows that she was the total catalyst for marjorie getting locked up yeah i think yeah i think he has a feeling or something jamie's like your mother wouldn't do that and tommen's like uh yeah Yeah, she she would would. what are you talking about she's about about to kill so many people i'm like jesus he goes are you angry with her of course not why didn't you let her come you know like it's her daughter's funeral. Yeah, that was so crazy how Tommen wouldn't let her come to the funeral. I know. And we'll talk about that confrontation scene a little bit later. Okay, sounds good. So, I like Jamie, what Jamie says here. He goes, we all fail sometimes, which is true. Right, yeah, he's like too ashamed about not being able to prevent what happened that he hasn't gone to see her yet. Yeah, so he goes... The king is supposed to be the protector of the realm. If I can't even protect my own wife or my own mother, what good am I? Yeah. Ugh. He feels like shit. He was. He didn't want Cersei to come to the Sept because if she came, she probably would have been arrested because the High Sept, the High Sparrow said that she wasn't allowed there. So he was worried that she would get arrested. Jamie's kind of like indirectly insulting him like now that i'm here she'll never throw her in a cell again and he's interpreting it as like oh shit no i allowed it to happen <laughs> while you were gone my yeah. bad it makes him feel like even more pathetic like true very true oh and that and that also in that moment where he says that the king is supposed to be the protector of the realm and uh, what good am i you know i i thought it was funny as it, it was kind of a lucid moment where he realizes his own worthlessness Oh, poor Tommen. I feel so bad for Tommen. <laughs> yeah, totally. He got totally thrust in the, into the situation. He's super young. He is, I think, very passive by nature and has never super been groomed passive. to be king. He's because there were beta. so many like people ahead of him in the, succe- the succession. So I just think he is too passive and too young and afraid to do any he doesn't know what to do yeah totally when tywin's gone yeah and sort of like the way that all of danny's advisors have been getting killed or exiled you know the loss of barristan and jorah um the same kind of thing is happening with tommen where tywin who is his main you know best source of advice is gone and various is gone who would also be and cersei's been gone yeah like various various would have had a good impact on tommen if he had no you know like theoretically i think so 
Yeah, so all of Tommen's advisors are basically gone too. And being an inexperienced little kid, he's totally unable to navigate on his own, basically. And Cersei's no help because she's just making everything worse. Yeah. Creating all the problems he has to deal with. So Jamie, so the doors open and we see a figure come in. And here comes the High Sparrow, who's just such a pompous ass. I just want to slap him. Ooh. He's so annoying. Shots fired. And Tommen tries to be strong here. And he goes, I want to see my wife. The gods wait for Queen Marjorie to confess her crimes and seek their mercy. The king must wait as well. And it's like, dude, come on. <laughs> go and see your mother, Tommen. Like, get out of here. <laughs> and Tommen is totally bitch made. Bitch made, motherfucker. And <laughs> the look on bitch his face made. is so <laughs> pathetic. Yeah. And Jamie's so mad. You can see it across his face. He's like, you're a bold man. Yeah. Like, coming in there, asserting authority over the king and challenging him right in front of Jamie. Over Marcella's dead body. Yeah. I mean, like, have a little bit of respect. Oh, I did want to note here. So when the scene first starts, do you remember back when we um, talked about Joffrey's wedding and Tommen's wedding, how we were trying to figure out which gods they are in between in the sept? Yeah. We actually get a shot of the two statues that they stand between at the weddings. It's the mother and the father. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I just wanted to make that little connection. It doesn't really have any... That makes um, sense, obviously. Yeah, it doesn't really have a meaning in this scene in particular, but we did get a camera angle that shot from like an aerial view so we could see both statues with the seven-pointed star in between them. Nice. That's where they got married. So it's between the mother and the father. Interesting. Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought it was funny too. He's like the father, the mother, the warrior, and I think when he said the warrior, he looked at Jamie. At Jamie, yeah, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So the high sparrow is like, on the contrary, I fear a great deal. The father, the mother, the warrior. Do you know why we use these stones? And Jamie's like, uh, I don't think so. To remind us not to fear death. We close our eyes on this world and open them on the next, which I find very interesting here because Jon Snow gets resurrected at the end of this episode. And yeah. the next episode, he tells Melisandre that he sees nothing. Right. On the that there other is side. no next world. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that's because he's kind of like in limbo because he's meant to return so he's not like seeing the afterlife i guess you could look at it from that perspective as well that he's not seeing anything because he's not actually like meant to be dead oh yeah that's possible (laughs) i like jamie's response here is like you must long for the next life (laughs) like you're pushing your limits here buddy yeah like get the (laughs) fuck out of here i'm not your buddy guy <laughs> you imprisoned and humiliated my sister. Your sister sought the gods' mercy and atoned for her sin. He goes, What about my sins? I broke a sacred oath. I killed my cousin. When the gods judged my brother guilty, I let him escape. 
what atonement do I deserve? Yeah, I thought it was significant there too that he confessed about releasing Tyrion to the to the High Sparrow because oh. he hasn't told anybody that. You know, everybody probably thinks that Varys let him go and escaped with him. So he's like the High Sparrow kind of looks at him like, "Oh my God!" Like when he when he says that, um, yeah. like it's even worse than I imagined. You know? <laughs> He bitch slapped the gods. Yeah, bitch slapped the gods. That's great. <laughs> Outtake real. Because you would spill blood in this holy place. And I love Jamie's line here. Oh, the gods won't mind. They've spilled more blood than the rest of us combined. Yeah, it's so cool. And it rhymed. It does. <laughs> He's a poet and he knows it. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, the high sparrow has to like be such a freaking weirdo yeah go on then i deserve it it. kill me he's like the joker i want you to kill me you know i want want you to hit me we all deserve to die we're so vain we live only by the mother's mercy yeah creepy that was the the season five finale was mother's mercy right oh yeah that's right so cue the militant the faith militant yeah, he like he like nods and all of a sudden all these guys start pouring out. It's just so creepy. They're like rats. Yeah, they're gross. They remind me of like rats coming out <laughs> from the shadows. And uh, Jamie's like, dude, they're like hundreds of feet away from you. Like, I'm going to cut you down right now. I don't even care. And he goes, oh, I don't think they'll ever reach me before you struck. Yeah. Like, that's not the plan, you know? And Jamie's like, I fought against worse odds. Yeah, think but about that. Has he ever fought against worse odds? That's that's quite the statement there. Maybe he has, but when he was with his good hand. Right. So I think he's kind of bluffing here. Yeah, he's bluffing. He's like projecting the idea that he's still as good as he was. Even with one hand. Yeah, which would mean he could handle different odds, <laughs> basically. And this is... This is so creepy with the this high sparrow, but he does make a really good point. And I, I do like this sentiment. You know, we have no names, no family. Every one of us is poor and powerless on an individual level. Mm-hmm. But together we can overthrow an empire. Right. And it's also like implying that a killing killing Jamie would be a bigger blow to them, to, to Jamie's crew, basically, than killing a bunch of the random sparrows would be to their movement. You know, yeah. They've accomplished something bigger by killing you than he would by killing 20 of them. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's all the notes I have on this scene. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um. It's just funny, you know, Jamie's so pissed and he like wants to kill him so bad, but he's like, fuck, they'll get, they'd get me, you know, damn it. <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. that, uh, that he, they didn't arrest him. The first time I was watching this scene, I was like, oh my God, are they going to arrest Jamie? Like that would have been crazy. Oh shit. Oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. Imagine that. Cause he's confessing to all this stuff here. Like he's saying, you know, it's, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't it wouldn't have surprised me I, like when when the high sparrow kind of nods up to the 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 other guys and the, all the sparrows come out. I was thinking maybe they were going to come down and just like take him, take him away. Yeah, that's true. I didn't I thought that they were just there to intimidate. But I don't think that they would have arrested him because he was guarding Marcella's body. Right. That's what. I, yeah. Kind of. That's what I thought too. Actually, when they started walking away and he's left standing there alone with Marcella's body, I was like, "Oh, they're probably just letting him 
finish his job here. <laughs> finish his duty. It's like sort yeah. of like a neutral zone moment, like a like a like if you're playing tag or something. You're like, yeah, because Marcella's innocent in all of this. Yeah, she totally. has nothing to do with it. Her death has nothing to do with what's going on. So they have to, you know, respect the the ceremony of her laying there for seven days. Yep. With her parts in those jars, which is really creepy. Oh, shit. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. John Aaron has them, too, when he's laying in the sept. And so does actually so do all of them. Like uh, Egyptian mummies with uh, their organs and jars. Yeah. They take out their like heart and their organs. And I I'm if I'm not mistaken, when John Aaron is lying there, there's seven jars. I didn't count when with Marcella's, but I, I just noticed that they were there. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, that's all I have for that scene as well. Okay. So what's your number two? My number two is Winterfell in the past. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. So the show starts and it's in the cave up beyond the wall with Bran. And immediately I realize that I totally didn't even notice that Bran was not even in season five. <laughs> this whole rewatch, oh, really? like it never even clicked with me. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> yeah. A whole 10 episodes and I just never even thought about it. And uh, so I, I was just like, wow, I'm dumb basically. And then uh, he's tangled up with these roots touching the weirwood uh you know, roots basically. And he's, his eyes are white and it looks like he's warging. So I just thought it was cool that even if he's, if he's warging, his eyes are turning white. If he's touching the tree, his eyes are turning white. It's like a similar type of thing is happening. Um, which I just thought was neat. Yeah, so definitely. He's standing where Ned and Kat were standing in the first episode, I think of the show when Ario is trying to shoot the bow. And he's standing there with the three-eyed raven looking down over the courtyard of Winterfell. Oh, is that where he's standing? I was curious. I think so. I could be wrong. But uh, there, he's watching some combat taking place below. And it turns out that it's Ned whooping on little Benjen as Benjen. kids. Which is so funny. I'll ring your head like a bell. Yeah, I love that line. Uh, didn't John say that when he was training Ollie recently too? Yes. Yeah, sort of like trying to pass on a tradition in his family. Um, just a cool line. I like that. And Bran is like just amazed watching all of this. And he's, you know, remarking on how they're all so happy. And that triggers thoughts in the viewer of the horrors that befell Winterfell in recent times. Unfortunately, happiness at Winterfell is a luxury that remaining Starks, the remaining Starks no longer have. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, young Lyanna Stark rides into the courtyard on a horse and starts circling around her, her little brothers showing off. And she's supposed to be an exceptional rider. Yeah. And my heart every stops every time she rides in because this is like the face that launched a thousand ships. She's the equivalent of Helen of Troy, the cause at the heart of Robert's rebellion that started this whole thing. Yeah. And this is the first time she's been on screen. The, the central figure of the whole story, basically, yeah. you know, and uh, it's just pretty amazing, especially having heard all of this from point of view characters, like a point of view chapters of the books when you finally like see something that people have been talking about and talking about for all this time, it's just super exciting for book readers. I imagine. 
all yes, over the place. Definitely. So she rides in and, and hops off her horse and all of a sudden Bran has to be, has to go down there and the three eyed Raven looks over it, but he's gone already walking towards the, his, his father and uncle and aunt. And I love that Bran says to my aunt Liana, I've seen her statue in the crypt. My father never talked about her. Yeah, that's important. Which echoes Sansa's sentiment to Baelish when they were in the crypts. They're standing in front of Liana's statue and she goes, my father never talked about her. Oh man. And it just shows you Ned's dedication to keep uh, John's cover intact because if he was talking about his sister, it would, it would come out, you know, he would have to be talking about what happened. Or it might slip by accident. Yeah. So in order to keep John's cover intact and to prevent his identity from coming out, he just says, mum is the word about Liana in general, basically. Um, it's pretty crazy because he doesn't yeah. want to have to lie about anything too. Sure. You know, exactly. He's, Cause he's so honorable. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just like, we're not talking about it. You know? Yeah. It's pretty funny. His dedication is extreme. It's admirable. So Liana mentions how Ned is going to be going off to the Erie pretty soon. And we know that he's in the Erie when she's quote unquote abducted. And that's where uh, the war starts from basically the uh you know the mad king sends a summons to john aaron in at the erie to bring ned down to court to send him to court um after rickard and brandon had been down there when they were executed basically and got it john aaron refuses to send ned stark to court to meet the mad king and instead rallies his banners and they go down to fight so that like that it, that's just pretty cool that he mentioned um Ned being in the Erie or that she mentioned Ned going to the Erie and she asks Benjamin who he's going to spar with and she's like how about you spar with him you know and and it's Willis yeah but Bran thinks she's looking at him talking about him because yes. she points right at him so he has this moment of confusion which is funny but then he turns around and sees yeah Willis and he's like oh my god is that Hodor <laughs> Hodor? Yeah, and Benjen mentions his giant's blood. And uh, Ned says to him that uh, if he ever learned to fight, he'd be unstoppable, he says to Nan, which I thought was cool. And giant's blood, being unstoppable at fighting, these are both hints that Hodor is descended from Duncan the Tall. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, funny. Yeah. Totally. So Hodor is talking to Liana and Bran Bran is amazed by this. He didn't realize that Hodor had ever been pre-Hodor, basically, um, that he had ever been able to talk. So he's like, oh my God, like this is a revelation. Pretty nuts. And uh, as Liana brings him over to fight, old Nan comes out and is like, no, like, no, this is not cool. And, And forces him to throw down the sword and takes him away. And uh, I thought it was interesting that she said he's never going to learn to fight because he's a stable boy. Just leave him be. I was like, why? You know, what's up with that? What she's just trying to protect protect him and like uh, not get him killed in battle or something? Is she just Maybe. her grandson? She just wants to save him, or Maybe. however old old Nan is. We know that he's descended from old old Nan. But we don't necessarily know how many generations it's been. Right? Isn't her age sort of like a mystery? It's ambiguous. I'm pretty sure it's ambiguous in the books, but to me, 
in this scene, she comes across like if I'm a viewer that has never read the books before her, yep. she comes across as his mom. Oh, interesting. To me. Gotcha. Or maybe grandma, but his mom. I mean, that's what I thought when I first saw it. Gotcha. So uh, the the Red Raven says to Bran that it's basically time to go. He's got to get out of there. And uh, Bran is like, no, 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 please just let me stay a little longer. And I thought it was interesting because Bran has a tendency to get caught up in his warging. Um, mm-hmm. Remember, like Jojen's like, you can't live inside summer. He gets kind of addicted to it. He's like, oh, why'd you bring me out of the trance? You know, I was just about to eat when summer is like about to eat a dead deer or something like that. Yeah. And uh, he's like, no, 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 you got to re- eat in real life, man. Like you're getting too deep into it. So he, it seems to be sort of similar with this new type of warging that he's experiencing. That's t- sort of exploring the memory banks of the Weirwood network. So it's just uh, interesting. Jojen warned him against staying in summer too long. And the three eyed Raven is warning him against staying in these visions for too long. And his insistence on being in the Weirwood memories more than he's advised to ends up causing trouble for him. He goes in without telling the Three-Eyed Raven, and that's when he contacts the the Night King, remember, and gets touched. Yep. Oh, yep. That's right. So this his in his unwillingness to listen to to these people advising him to be careful with this whole process basically foreshadows that event coming up so he comes out from the vision and he's mad he's like you finally show me something like that's awesome and then you just drag me away like what the fuck and the three-eyed raven has a good line here which sort of reminded me of patch face from the books you know that remember that song Mm -hmm. that shireen sings it's It's always always summer summer under the sea i know i know oh 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 oh, oh. (laughs) the shadows come to dance to play yeah so the three-eyed raven's like it's beautiful beneath the sea but if you stay too long you'll drown which is also cool because uh we have euron talking about being the drowned god this episode yep so there's something drowning related as well and brand's like i wasn't drowning you know i was home and there again the name of the episode home like you mentioned before winterfell um it must have been nice for brand to be able to go to Winterfell and feel like, yeah. it, you know, like back at home again. It, it, Talk about like a visual memory. Yeah. Right. Being completely immersed like VR style. Yeah. <laughs> and so he looks over at Hodor and he's like, Willis and says his name. And Hodor is like, Hodor, you know, like, yeah. And he's like, I saw you. What, what happened? Cause you didn't learn yet how he got Hodor. Mm-hmm. I'm so sad. He, Hodor can't tell him. He's just like, Hodor. But that's what's so funny is that's what happened to him was hold the door, Hodor. Oh, right. So he is kind of answering him. He does in a way kind of answer him. I had to hold the door. That's hilarious. Hodor. Yeah. So then uh, he he asks him, where's Mira? And again, just Hodor. He just can't say shit, man. Yeah. So Hodor brings Bran outside and sets him down in the snow. And Mira is sitting there. And just gazing out over the the tundra, and it's it just beautiful sets in this uh, this northern area. I like this the hillside that they're sitting by. Yeah, it's and so beautiful. The cave is cool, and yeah, and Hodor 
kind of puts Bran down and walks away. And where does he walk to? Where does he walk over to here? Where does Hodor walk? Yeah, the door. Oh. He walks over <laughs> to the door where that he holds later and sort of stands in front of it. Um, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, this is the spot, man. Oh my God. And, and Bran says, it's dangerous out here. I thought for some reason it was like on the other side of the cave. Oh yeah, I think this is it. I think this is the spot on the back side of the cave and everything. Um, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go back and watch this. Yeah, so he goes over, stands by the door, and Bran says to Mira, what are you doing out here? It's dangerous out here. And I thought that was funny because it is dangerous out there. That's where Hodor gets killed. You know, so it's foreshadowing something dangerous happening here. But it's throwing us off by targeting Mira with the danger here. Like, you're putting yourself in danger. Yeah. You know, so it sort of preps us, but also diverts us from. <laughs> I like her sentiment here, though. She goes, it's not safe anywhere. Yeah. Like, which is kind of true. Mm-hmm, definitely. Which is also uh, along the vein that you're going, it's not safe in that cave either because yeah. they end up getting infiltrated. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. And also shows how she is just like, she's really distraught and she's sort of like welcoming danger at this point. Like she's just like, like, fuck it, I'm ready. I think she's maybe wondering like what's next because she, her brother died to get there. You know, she's probably missing him. Yeah, she's super upset about it. She's not sure what her purpose is right now because all Bran does all day is sit by the weirwood tree and get visions fed to him. Yeah, and Hodor so doesn't say anything but Hodor. Yeah, and she's like, what the fuck? And Bran's all excited. He's like, oh, he's like, I saw Hodor. He talked. Mira's like, I don't give a shit about Never. any of this. Like, like, I don't fucking damn, care. My brother's dead, man. And you're like excited over there, basically. Yeah. <laughs> the ominous lines in brands like the three-eyed raven says there's a war coming. And we know there is the war of the dead versus the living. Yeah. The pressing pressure from the, from the undead army in the north as they move towards the wall. And uh, Mira's like, yeah, what are we going to do? Fight it from here? Like, fuck, man. Like, we got to get out of here, basically. She's like, oh, like all pissed off. And Hodor picks up Bran and brings him back inside. And that's when the child of the forest speaks up and tells Mira that Brandon needs her. I'm thinking, have you been creepily watching this whole time? <laughs> like You've just been lurking there and just chilling. I think they're, they're always around. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I love their makeup. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I love cool. Leaf. I love Lamp. They're uh, described a bit differently in the books. Worth reading to get to uh, learn more. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Leaf is cool. I love her makeup. I like it too. And uh, she, the child of the forest, Leaf, here reveals that Bran isn't going to stay here forever, which I thought was interesting because um, she's Mira's like, what does he need me for? You know, all I do is sit there and watch him do his thing. And I don't even know what's going on. Basically nothing ever happens. And uh, so the child of the forest, you know, tells her that he's going to be out there and he's going to need you. And now we know Hodor is going to be dead. So, <laughs> but this line stuck out to me. He isn't going to stay there forever. In the, under the tree because 
book readers, I think we all sort of thought that Bran would just remain under the tree forever, taking the place of the Three-Eyed Raven. That's what it yeah. seemed like it was setting up, setting it up for. So it was sort of like a twist for me. And I think for a lot of people who were like, oh my God, like maybe he, he doesn't actually maybe he's stay not there. meant to like be in the tree. Yeah. We just thought like, oh, he's paralyzed. He reached his destination and he's going to just like, like you know, his story arc has here. ended. Well, maybe not his arc, but at least his journey. Sure. He's released, reached his command center, <laughs> like type thing. Yeah. yeah so uh, that was just kind of interesting, kind of surprising, the notion that he could leave. Uh, so that's kind of cool. I like that. And uh, yeah, that wraps up all the Winterfell and brand stuff and my number nice. two. So what about your number two? My number two is Ramsey killing his father. Oh, yeah. Brutal. Yes. So we get Lord Karstark, which is the son of the guy that Rob beheaded when they were at war with the Lannisters. And Lord yep. Karstark says he came upon the bodies on our way here. So someone found the men that Brienne and Pod and, uh, Theon cut down and Bruce is like so you have a half a dozen men your best hunters <laughs> what the fuck the people happened that were hunting for uh, Sansa and, Re and Reek yeah. right yeah and Bruce is basically like looking at his son like these are your best people what happened like they got cut down pretty fast yeah by by some chick I mean he doesn't know that but <laughs> yeah the, the same chick that killed Stannis Baratheon that he wants tonight. Right. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So Ramsey's like, they obviously had help. And it's like, fucking, yeah. Sansa didn't kill anybody. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Ramsey is fucking up. He's, you remember last episode, he was so mad that Reek and Sansa had escaped. And he was already threatening his lordship, basically, in the line of succession. Yeah. So here exactly. it's just continuing. Let's hope. You know, she has a boy. Yep. And just like he never ended up catching um, Bran and Rickon after he was sending out people hunting for him and everything, right? Um, uh, he's now not catching Reek and Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Ramsey's like, don't worry. We know where she's going. She's going to Castle Black. And Lord Lord Karstark goes, Ned Stark's last surviving son. And Roos kind of writes this off. He goes, Jon Snow's a bastard, not a Stark. And Ramsay's like, dude, so was I. Like, right. what the fuck? Like, Lord Karstark goes, your hold on the North will never be as secure as long as a Stark can walk through that door. Yeah, as long as there's a Stark still out there, uh, they'll never, like, really own Winterfell. Yeah, and basically Ramsey's like, um, let's go kill the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. That's such a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah. And Bruce is like, murder the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch? Are you fucking crazy? Yeah, the whole Unite North every northern us. house against us. Yeah. Like, that's the stupidest idea you could ever come across. And yeah, Ramsey's like, what the, like, we don't need everybody. All we need is just a couple key houses. Well, we just need the Umbers and the Manderleys and the Karstarks, and yeah. we're good. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, you know, a reminder, kind of a, a line just to remind us who this guy is. So Lord, 
Lord Karstark says, the Starks lost my house the day King Rob cut my father's head off. Yeah, a little bit of exposition to give us a, a recap. <laughs> yeah. So we understand um, the significance of It's time of for new blood in the North. And these guys are actually like related to the Starks too. Karstark yes. is an off branch of the Stark house. So I thought this was kind of interesting. It's time for new blood in the North. I thought that that was kind of a hint towards Jon Snow because he's... While he is a Stark, right, he's, he's, Targaryen he's named Targaryen. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was interesting because he's king in the north right now. Right. Like at the end of season seven. Yeah, true, Like where true. we've left off. The so I thought that was kind of interesting. Roos is not having this shit. He's so pissed at his son. He's like, if you acquire a reputation as a mad dog, you'll be treated as a mad, mad dog taken out back and slaughtered for pig feed. Right. You like keep acting crazy. I'll have you fucking killed. Basically. Last threat he'll ever make. Yep. And so then cue Maester Wolken. My lords, Lady Walda has given birth a boy red cheeked and healthy. Yeah. So not only is there an heir, you know, a new heir. It's a boy. It's a boy, and he's healthy. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> which is not good. Ramsey's face is like fuck. Yeah, I have to kill my dad here. And Lord Car starts like congratulations. <laughs> Just this news solidifies Roos's death too, in in Ramsey's mind, you know. Yeah. And Ruth says to him, you'll always be my firstborn. And Ramsey's like, ah, I really appreciate that you know, <laughs> yeah. so much. And so then much. <laughs> now I'm going to fucking stab you in the side. <laughs> and, um, I found it kind of interesting that Lord Karstark doesn't seem surprised here. Yeah. Like, like he's he in on react. it. So I think he's kind of in on it. I think. Ramsey may have planned this. They were just waiting for the news. It's like, uh, it's just like the sand snakes were waiting for the news about Marcella being dead. And they immediately took out Doran and Ario Hota here. Ramsey's just waiting for the news that the boy, it's a boy and it's healthy. And he takes out Roos and takes out the boy. Do you think he would have killed his dad if it was a girl? Uh, good question. I don't think it would have been so immediately necessary. Yeah. I don't think he would have. Yeah. I think maybe he had conversed with Lord Karstark and basically said, if it's a boy, we're going to kill Roos. If it's a girl, we're not. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, Wolken is just shocked by this. The maester, he's just like stops dead in his tracks. Like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> yeah. And Ramsey's like, send out some ravens. <laughs> yeah. Tell him that Ram or not Ramsey that Roos was poisoned, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice to be poisoned Why? because poison is a woman's weapon. Oh. And there's really like no women that. Well, I guess Sansa. Sansa. Ooh. Yeah, that would make Maybe her he look good in the eyes of the North people, though. So that's a bad plan. But he, she's married to Ramsey, not Roos. So if it makes Sansa look good, maybe people will think like, oh. Oh, maybe Ramsay is good. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because so, Roos is a villain. Maybe Ramsay can like paint himself as a hero. As a good person. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, <laughs> they're totally fucking with Maester Walken here. Yeah. 
And Ramsey's like, how did she die? It's the same kind of crap that he uses on Reek. Yeah, so creepy, that whole manipulation like, they thing. they have to repeat, you know, poisoned by the enemies. Yeah, it's interesting, though. He, Maester Wolken says, because Ra- Ramsey had said, say that he was poisoned by our enemies. And instead, Maester Wolken said, poisoned by his enemies, as if he's including oh, Ramsey as one of the enemies. Oh my gosh, I didn't even pick up on that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of funny. So, Karstark's like, "Ah, you're talking to your lord. Use respect." So, I wasn't sure if he was like it was if it was because he didn't say "my lord" or if it was because he changed the wording to include I think Ramsey it was because he enemy. didn't say "my lord." Yeah, I think you're right. I think so. And then they're like, Hey, why don't you bring the lady that just had like pushed a baby out of her body and have her have her come down here? I want to talk to her. Yeah, not good. The Meester's like, dude, she's like resting, and I, I mean, I read into that as like she's really not fit to like walk around right now. Yeah, he's also like uh, trying afraid. To, yeah, he's like it's like Davos saying like, oh, like send Shireen home, you know? I think thing. he, I think Meester Wolken knows that Ramsey's gonna kill the baby. Oh yeah, absolutely. So he's he's like trying to get out of it, like, well, you know, maybe you know, right now it's not a good time, and he glares at him like, you don't fucking get it, do you? Like, <laughs> go fucking get her, dude, or you're yeah. next. Yeah, basically. So yeah, that was my number two. So creepy. I guess Very I'll uh, I'll just follow up real quick with the uh, the following part. Um. So. Ramsey oh, yeah. goes out to oh, meet. Yeah. yeah. Ramsey goes out to meet Lady Walda. I'm not going to call her Fat Walda now because of what happens and be too mean. And uh, so he creepily asks to hold the baby, which is so so messed up. And she's like, "Of course," but you can see in her eyes she totally she's like hesitates about it. Yeah. And while he's holding the baby, like she looks all freaked out and everything. She's uh, she's really anxious to get the baby back. Yeah, and he's like little brother, and I'm like, oh god, it's so creepy. And so he, uh, she asks, where is uh, Lord Bolton? Um, he sent for us, basically. And so he hands the baby back, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, follow me. We'll we'll go to Lord Bolton. And you know something's fucked up immediately because we've seen that gate before when Miranda brought Sansa into the kennel. You know, instantly it's the kennels. Yeah. So he leads her in and she just walks right in. I'm like, Oh my God, do not go in there, girlfriend. You know? And, uh, like why would Bruce be in the kennels? Yeah. Do not. And why would he bring his newborn son into the kennels? Yeah, exactly. So, so bad. And she goes right in and he locks the door and just starts walking down and unlocking each of the gates. Okay. It, like she should know why is he opening these gates yeah like, and she, get out of there so she keeps asking like where's lord bolton you know <laughs> and just, she, there's a like a sad moment where she like looks down at the baby like she knows what's about to happen yeah and Ugh, again God. she just asks again like where is he where's lord bolton and uh it, we're seeing all these silhouettes of the dogs and it's super fucked up like it's just silhouettes and like the gleaming off the edge of like the light. I think the first dog hair. that they show is the dog that bites Ramsey's face off. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe I think it's the same dog and the dogs are like going nuts as he's opening the doors. And, uh, she's like, where is Lord Bolton? 
and Ramsay turns to her finally and he's like, I am Lord Bolton. You know, like my father's oh, dead. Um, it's me now. You know, he, that he's saying without saying it, like, Roos is dead. Yeah, I killed him. And so she knows exactly what's happening. She's like, please, you know, I'll leave. I'll go back to the, to the phrase, to my family. Like, don't kill us. You, you know, this is your, He's brother your brother here. And as horrible as all of this is, this is an epic one-liner from Ramsey. <laughs> I prefer being an only child. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Ugh. man. So twisted. Fuck. And he just whistles the dogs and, uh, you know, yeah. they'll be eaten for a few days for sure. Yeah. Yucky. Yeah, yucky, gnarly. Yucky. Yeah, that's it for your number two, right? Yes. So I bet we have the same number one. I would assume that your number one is the resurrection of John. Yeah. What about you? Me too. Nice. So let's let's well, talk about it. Okay. Go for it. Starts out with Davos going to visit Melisandre, which is weird. Um, I mean, you'd think the only reasons that Davos would be going to see Melisandre are to basically figure out what the hell happened to Shireen. Cause we know he doesn't like Melisandre, right? Yeah. We don't, we know that he doesn't really want to be around her. Yeah. But, but we do learn that he is a strategic thinker because he has a plan here and he is trying to fi- figure out if uh, Melisandre can do anything about this John situation, <laughs> which is yeah. hilarious that he's even thought about this. Uh, well, he's, I mean, he was the one that watched her give birth to that, that shadow baby. Right. So he knows. And that then she has he also knows about Thoros of Mir. Does he? Does he know about that? How do I feel like he knows about Thoros of Mir? Oh, yeah, maybe he does because uh, Melisandre reported back to Stannis after, you know, meeting with them. So maybe I don't actually I don't think he knows about it because he asks if any magic like that has ever happened before. Oh, okay, that's right. Yep, good call. Um so it's interesting he he th- imagines that Melisandre would already know why he's showing up there because she tends to always know things before they happen. Like right before Davos tries to kill her, she knows basically and has him you know, arrested and everything like that. Uh, yeah. All kinds of stuff like that. So he's surprised that she doesn't seem to know why he's there. He's like, I assume you know why I'm here. She and looks so sad yeah, and frail. And- yeah. She's like, I'll know, I'll know why you're here after you tell me. And he's like, what the fuck? Like shows that she's doubting her visions, that she's no longer believing the things that she's seen in the flames. So she's like, maybe I know, you know, I doubt it. Like, why are you? I haven't checked lately. Yeah, totally that too. So highly unusual. And he's like, uh, it's about John, the Lord commander. And, and, um, she says to him, yeah, the former Lord commander. And he's like, well, does he have to be the former Lord commander? And she kind of looks over at him like, what what are you asking me to do what are you asking and he's like do you know of any resurrection magic basically do you know anything that could help bring john back from the dead and she kind of like poo-poos the idea like like just leave it alone you know and he's like can it can it be done have you heard of this before and she this is when she sort of mentions that's right thing she's like there are some who have done this but i don't know how and he's like, well, have you seen it? And like, how do you know about this? And this is when she talks about having met Beric Dondarrion, who came back from the dead. 
and but she was surprised that it was even possible because Thoros was just such a terrible priest, basically, and lost yeah. faith in the red god. Like he shouldn't have had the power to do that. Yeah, he was he wore his red robe, but it was just like for show to make him look cool in the melees that he would fight in, and he would light his sword on fire and just be a badass. But it was never he never like he didn't have faith anymore, um, and. That's actually maybe a significant part to the story because it's at a moment where he's where Thoros is at his lowest, where he's lost all of his faith, and his best friend has just died in front of him in his arms, and he he's desperate and questioning everything, and that's when he turns to the Lord of Light just instinctively and says the words that he'd memorized years ago, even though his faith has long been gone. And Beric arises from the dead. And Melisandre is in sort of a similar place to Thoros when he first resurrected Beric. She's lost her faith. She's at her lowest point. Oh, yeah. Um, she's I broken. like this connection. Yeah, That's it's so interesting. true. And then at this low point, when she needs hope, she's given this resurrection that tells her that you know, what she saw in the flames was real, that she did see John potentially fighting at a great battle at Winterfell, that she witnessed herself standing atop the battlements of Winterfell after this battle. Um, maybe it was with John instead of Stannis. So now she's seeing that maybe the things that she saw weren't wrong. They were just out of context. And she had the wrong information. She plugged the visions into what she, her own vision of what she thought was supposed to happen and maybe didn't read into the visions as literally as she thought she did right so this this resurrection at this dark moment for her is a is a hope that helps get her back on track and that's another thing that we see in this episode and a couple past couple episodes happening with sansa as well she was in a real dark place and she's starting to find hope. She's learning that Bran and Rickon weren't killed that we know of, that they could still be out there. That's a big piece of hope that she learns when she's at her absolute lowest, when, when it blurts out of Theon, right? And then she learns that Jon is still out there, that he's Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And then now, in this episode, she's learning that Arya is alive, as Brienne is telling her that she encountered Arya. So these women in these dark moments are getting bits of hope that bring them back and get them back on track. And imagine for Sansa, it's like her family is being brought back from the dead almost. Seriously. Just the way that John is <laughs> literally, literally yeah. You know, like Brandon Rickon <laughs> nice. have returned from, from being thought to be dead. And now Arya as well assumed dead is returning from the dead and John literally returning from the dead. And she's on her way up to going to see John. Yeah. Who's being resurrected from the dead. From the dead. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Nice. So funny. So Melisandre has just lost all of her self-confidence at this point. She, and she's saying like this resurrection that she learned of shouldn't be possible. And Davos is like, but it was possible. It did happen, you know, and maybe it could happen again. Maybe it could happen now. And Melisandre is like, not for me. And she stands up and walks away and she's just convinced that, you know, she, like she's lost all of her self-confidence. She doesn't buy it anymore. She thinks she's guilty after having killed Shireen and wrong and hopeless. And, and yeah, hopeless. she's hopeless. 
and Davos who has tried to kill her before is instilling confidence in her and giving her boost a boost here he's like not for you i saw you drink a goblet of poison that should have killed you and it did nothing i saw you give birth to a, a shadow demon that demon cl- clawed its way from your womb gripping your ankles and pulling itself out with the face of stannis conjured from from blood magic like you out of everybody don't think that you could do this Thoros had never had any you know mystical magic that he'd performed before that we know of yet you who have done these incredible things think that this is outside of your reach like if it was out wasn't outside of Thoros's reach it's within your reach it's completely within your realm yeah and she's this is when she divulges divulges that you know her perspective after having lost everything with stannis um everything that she believed is a lie the victory that she saw in the flames it's a lie she she thinks that everything was a misinterpretation or or not a misinterpretation she thinks she's been shown falsehoods by the red god she's questioning all of this and uh her, her, i love davos's response too he's like fuck all of them yeah and like her voice is quavering when she says it and uh yeah then yeah fuck all of them just like jamie's speech remember to yeah. cersei fuck anyone who isn't us yeah um i thought it was funny how davos says he's like fuck them fuck all of them uh i'm not a devout man obviously <laughs> like, really? like the way he yeah. was just cursing up a they're storm all the same gods yeah to me. Yeah, really interesting. And that's the way that it's interesting that he says that because Melisandre refers to the Red God and Jockin refers to the Red God. And the Red God is the many-faced God. And the concept behind the House of Black and White and the Faceless Men is that all of these gods, the seven gods, the old gods, the new gods, you know, the, the drowned the gods, God. they're all the same. So Davos is saying, fuck them. He's fuck all the gods. They're, you know, they're all, they're all the same. It's the same God. So unknowingly he's, he's aligning himself with the premise of the red God that Melisandre has been pushing for the whole time here by, by saying that they're all the (laughs) same. Yeah. Right. So that was just kind of interesting. And, uh, he's like, you know, if anybody can do this, like it's you. I'm not asking the the Lord of Light for help. Forget the Lord of Light. Forget whatever that is. I'm asking you, the woman who convinced me, who showed me that miracles are possible, that magic exists. And he's pressing all the right buttons here. <laughs> like he's saying everything. She's like, I've never done this before. Yeah. I've never, you know, even tried. Essentially. Yeah. She's like, I never had this gift and he's like well you know you have all these other gifts like have you ever even tried this maybe you do maybe you can obviously it makes her pause it makes her think and it cuts to the scene of the resurrection oh i love this scene they're all gathered around his body and i love that you get the shot of ghost who's not left his post Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she's Cleaning his wounds. Reminded me of Arya at the House of Black and White. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. So she's cleaning his body. She's cutting his hair for the ritual. She's cutting some of his beard hairs, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of funny. Oh, interestingly, after um, after these people go through this cleaning process of the house at the House of Black and White, it's almost like they're resurrected, too, as their faces can be used 
and their Ooh. likenesses will appear. Um, so it's almost resurrection in a way for those people as well. Just, you know, on. Yeah. So a similar ritual here for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And so, you know, she, she places her hands on Jon Snow's body and starts, you know, reciting the incantation to mm-hmm. resurrect his body. And she, you know, bef- right before that, she throws the hair into a fire. I was wondering if there was blood magic happening here because he was lying on the ground. His blood seeped out from his body and covered the snow all around him. He was covered in blood. His hair was probably all matted with blood. And she's burning. Oh, maybe. She's burning his hair. Which has blood on it. And he's got king's blood. Ooh. Ooh. I like where you're going with that. Yeah. So there could be some blood magic going on here. If if it isn't the Lord of Light that resurrects John, maybe it was, well, I guess it was. it's the Lord of Light that does works with the blood magic. So yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's something happening. And she unknowingly knows that he has King's blood. I think she's sensed that he's somehow important. Yeah. Uh, but doesn't really know how. So I like it. Yeah. Pretty interesting, right? So she's reciting this incantation and you can see that she's doubting herself a little bit here. Uh-huh. She's trying to focus and she's trying to maintain a little bit of composure and belief in herself and in her, her God. And the tension is so high. Everybody's watching her. Yeah. Everyone's watching. We get these overhead camera shots where you, you see her hands on John and you're looking at John's face and we're all just like hoping that John's going to wake like up on the edge of our seats. Like yeah, just every, every shot, like, is he going to, his eyes going to open? Like, I think I was, I stood up when this started <laughs> happening. Like when it first aired, I think I was like standing up, like pacing around my living room. Yeah. I don't doubt it. Oh my God. And Tension. I love how she utters Unreal. under her breath. She's like, please. Yeah so intense and she's getting more frantic with the prayer yeah and she's just reciting it over and over and over again and she's trying to focus her eyes are closed davos looks like he's like almost in prayer like he's ho- he's so hopeful and Tormund looks like wary like everyone is holding with bated breath yeah absolutely and she you you feel her kind of exhale and she slowly like removes her hands from his body and she has these big, you know, tears like welling up at her eyes. And she looks over at Davos with like the most defeated look. It's yeah. the same look that she gave him when he asked about Shireen. Yep. Oh, just like, so ugh. and Tormund kind of storms just, out. He's just like, fuck, like he that was can't. our last hope. And he just doesn't even want to be in there anymore. He's like, I can't even basically. Right. Yeah. Malisandra is like, I've failed. So I'm going to leave. Ed leaves and Davos lingers and stares at John. He's like, how could this have not worked? I've watched this lady birth a demon. I've watched her drink poison. She's told me about resurrection in Westeros by a red priest. Like, why didn't this work for John? Yeah. And he's like, also just like really saddened by this. You can tell like he's bummed yeah, out. Yeah, He's super bummed. And so he eventually exits the room as well. This is really funny because um, everybody thinks like people were like, 
you know, like we're like a hundred percent sure Jon Snow is coming back, right? He's going to be resurrected. So when all of a sudden there's talk about resurrection with, with Davos suggesting it to Melisandre, everybody's like, Oh my God, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, but then then here it doesn't happen. happen. Yeah. So (laughs) so it's like an attempted, like double reverse fake out by by the show. I was freaking out. I was like, there is no way that he can't come back. Like, (laughs) This scene is going on way too long for it to not work. Yeah, isn't that hilarious? And then we pan over to Ghost. Yeah, and the camera lingers. The loyal, the loyal servant. You know, the dog next to his master. Yeah, and it's like if the if the shot had just ended after like a second looking at Ghost and changed scenes, you know, maybe everybody would (sighs) be like, "Oh my God, he's dead!" But but it didn't. The shot didn't end. It lingered on Ghost for a couple seconds. And he opens his eyes. And he looks over. The white wolf rises. Jon Snow's eyes, they snap open. And he's gasping for breath. Yeah. And then that wolf, white wolf rises. And he's... <sighs> and he looks panicked. Well, yeah. I mean, imagine being killed. The last, the last memory you have is being like not being able to breathe. Essentially. Yeah, totally. So he's... And he's... That's... He probably thought he was like laying in the snow still. Yeah, like, for panicking. Sure. He doesn't know where the fuck he's been. Yeah, that Ugh. just restarting right at that moment that uh, where it stopped. Basically, yeah, yeah it's pretty crazy. Um, and then the opening of the next episode is my face. Oh, <laughs> you see some John naked snow John butt Snow. Crack. <laughs> It's hilarious. So yeah, I just thought that it was really cool how like the camera lingers on Ghost and you're like, oh my God, it didn't end. There's still hope. And then when when Ghost wakes and rises, it's Mm. foreshadowing John immediately waking and rising as well. They're both like white wolves rising essentially, which I thought was really cool. Ghost wakes up and looks over at John and then that angle over over the table, over the slab looking down at him. And you just like mm. this whole like you just like boom from zero to a hundred like instantaneously. Yeah. It's so good. I don't know. I just thought they did a really good job with that whole scene. Me too. I loved it. Yeah, pretty amazing. Anything else you want to add about that? No. All just that I'm so glad that he got resurrected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I will second that notion. So let's move on to notes. What do you got for notes? The first couple of notes that I have are surrounding Cersei. Yes, we get the confrontation here. Mm-hmm. She's like, get the hell out of my way. What yeah. are you doing? I am trying to go to my daughter's funeral. Like, and the, the soldier's like, I'm sorry. They're, yeah, they're Lannister guard. King Tommen told me that you can't leave, essentially. And he's like, you're barring me from keeping from keeping me from my own daughter's funeral. Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, that's so messed up. And the the soldier's like, I'm sorry. It's for your protection. It's the king's command. I can't let you pass. Yeah. Essentially. And Cersei's like, I need to speak with him. This is bullshit. Yeah, this is not going to fly. And the guy is like, I'm sorry, he's already left. <laughs> yeah. Don't kill me. He's already gone. <laughs> uh. Don't kill me. Um, and then at that moment, Gregor like, like starts to oh, unsheath his sword. The soldiers are like, please, no, 
Please they look, don't hurt me. They look terrified and they all yeah. grab for their swords and like they're all like shaking and Please like look uneasy. Don't. And then when Gregor walks away and they're like, oh my God, phew. yeah before that though like he gregor like turns and looks at cersei just waiting for the command you know (laughs) like and she's like like, say the words "Mm." yeah and instead she turns and walks away it's crazy so funny this is one of the most hardcore like moments of the show like the tension here of this standoff is unreal yeah because i i mean I'm sure that soldier did not want to to deliver that message to Cersei. Like you can't go to your daughter's funeral because your son, the King doesn't want you to be there. And there it's crazy. There's like so many of those guys, there's like 15, 20 Lannister guard there. And then there, there's just this one big mountain mountain would cut through all of them. (laughs) Yeah. And I think they all know that too. So they're like, Oh my God, like this, this is a suicide mission. (laughs) You can't win. (laughs) Please it's, don't hurt me. It's suicide. You've seen him. You know how strong he is. <laughs> Do you know what everybody says? It's suicide. You've seen him. You know how strong he is. You can't win. <laughs> oh, man. They're so scared. This is fucking great. This is one of my favorite episodes. So many cool mm-hmm. moments in this. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Next, we get a, a view of from Cersei's chambers. And it's foreshadowing. It's looking out at the sept from her window. She's getting the idea. Yeah, it's the same shot we get when we see the sept explode. So they're setting us up with these camera angles that we're returning to later. So we're familiar with what she's looking at. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. So Tommen basically comes to apologize. And he's very awkward at first. And so Cersei tries to make a little bit of small talk. And I loved it. She's like, which dress did they put her in? Was it the gold one or the red one? Yeah, just testing the prophecy. Expecting gold. <laughs> yep. Good. It was always her color. Yeah. Um, and Tommen apologizes. He's like, I know I shouldn't have kept you here, but I was afraid for your safety. Yeah, they would have rested like, you. Like, I can't imagine basically letting what happened to you happen to you again, essentially. Um, and he's like, Cersei's like, I, you know what? I'm just glad to see you. It's okay. Lies. I get it. <laughs> She's not even looking at him. She's like, facing no. the other way, like, it's okay. I understand. It's like, like no, you're lying. <laughs> you're pissed, pissed off. <laughs> but really, in fairness to Tommen, this is all Cersei's fault. Totally. Like, she put her son in a situation that he was way too inexperienced to contemplate on the spot. And she fucking walked into this the, the sept totally. alone and got captured. Like, she's an idiot. She's dumb. Yeah. To, she was so, like, so smug with what she thought she was doing that she didn't think anyone was going to call her bluff. So... yeah. Um, Tommen like kind of freaks out here, reveals that he's, he's like scared, uh, scared and weak. He's like, you know, I should have done all this stuff. I should have killed him. I should have torn down, like dropped the whole building down on top of him. Like you would have. And I think that gives her the idea 
to oh of destroying blow the, the sept. sept up. Yeah, yeah, that's pro- that's a great point. Yeah, that's exactly what did it. This you're yeah, that's great, great. Catch. I should have pulled down the sept onto the high sparrow's head, which mm-hmm. is exactly exactly well, what she does. She doesn't pull it down; she blows it up. Yeah. But that's the only difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. It settles down eventually, though. And you know, I he's like asking her for help and she's like, I'm always going to be here for you and I'm going to hug you now. Yeah. And I love this moment. Okay. She smells his hair. Oh really? <laughs> and I loved that because I always smell Justin's hair. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's something about like your child, like they the smell scent of your child. They yeah. have like a smell and it's their smell and you know exactly what it smells like. And, it's the first time she's seen her son in a really long time. Right. She's endured a lot of hardship to get there. So she's taking in that moment of hugging her child. And I just love how she smells her hair. Yeah. These are like the humanly moments. Yeah, totally. And olfactory scent is like senses are, um, you know, linked to memory. So getting yeah. that smell probably gives her like a, a whiff of home just like you know the episode title she's probably imagining him like as a baby i don't know right just, she's getting that I always feeling smell of, Justin. of home from his early youth and i know we always talk about cersei like these little small instances like this give her something relatable to yeah. the audience and from another perspective, uh, as he confesses to his weakness here and begs for him, her to help him be strong, I thought it was interesting. A pained look kind of come across her face as if she like senses that his weakness will be his end because she knows the prophecy and she knows all her kids are dying and she knows she feels like it's hopeless, that it's inevitable. And so she's yeah. seeing this thing, like the, his inability to act as a king, that she's probably thinking like it's going to it's going to result in his death. And she's forced to say, you know, like, yeah, I'll I'll always help you. But she knows inside that there's not much that she can do. Yeah, that it's going to be in vain and that it's all going to be useless anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's just like the, the pain as she's coming to to accept this realization. Um, I thought that. She did a really good job portraying it and uh, very, very much very so. nuanced performance. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on. Pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, that's a good scene. What's your next note? My next note is blind ass Aria. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> yeah. The waif is fucking with her again and just keeps hitting her in the head over and over and over asking her her name and she doesn't you know she's like i don't believe that you're no one when aria's like no one no one i'm no one please stop beating like, me she's like i don't believe that you don't believe that you're not no one and uh eventually aria's like left just sit, swinging the stick <laughs> like a mad woman flailing around <laughs> hilarious she's so frustrated and then um boom somebody catches the 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 staff and it's Jockin replacing the waif. And he tests her with he temptation. Do you think he was the waif? Um, well, we've, we've seen him be the waif and Jockin before, you know, like when, when he drank the poison, the waif turned into Jockin there. Yeah. So we know that it's possible. Like these are just, they're like, you know, interchangeable faces. These people are no one. It's like that movie, um, um, what's it called uh, a scanner darkly where they all these people wear these suits 
they work for the like the government basically and they wear these suits to to mask their identities and it mm. causes their facial features and everything to just constantly be changing and morphing between oh, all these different creepy. faces so they they're faceless men essentially no, no identity until they you know they can't be recognized on the job they go home take off the suit and that you know their real face is revealed yeah it's kind of a cool effect so faceless men are similar you know they're just sort of interchangeable you never know who's really who or anything like that they are no one effectively truly yeah yeah so jockin shows up and is tempting her um he's testing her will with temptation you know he's he's who are you no one no one <laughs> if a girl says her name a man will let her sleep under a roof tonight tossing something out, trying to get her to, to betray her new identity as no one. And this is when we get that great line from Arya for the first time. A girl has no name, you know, which <laughs> everybody loved. If a girl says her name, a man will feed her tonight. A girl has no name. <laughs> Again, she repeats it. And he just keeps escalating, you know, giving her things, offering things that she thinks she would want to tempt her into just doing what she needs to do to just get out of there and get her eyes back. And if a girl says her name, a man will give her eyes back. A girl has no name. And then he releases the staff that she's passed her tests of temptation and says, he says one word, come. And she turns to follow him, but she first she go, tries to go coins. to her basket. Yeah, <laughs> leave it. A girl is not a beggar anymore. And uh, so creepy. She sort of like shuffles along after him like a zombie. Uh, she looks like a zombie, and I'm wondering, like John is a zombie at the end of this episode. Ooh, <laughs> is this yeah, foreshadowing creepy. dead Arya, <laughs> like <laughs> with with pale eyes? Dun dun dun. so she follows him off and uh goes back to the house of black and white we're assuming the girl is not a baker anymore yep so what's your next note my next note is actually my last note and it's brianne and sansa and theon nice in the northern wilderness um, so we get Brienne and Sansa. They're talking about Brienne finding Arya that she was with the Hound, and yeah, um, you know, I that Brienne is pretty sure that the Hound was actually taking care of her and protecting. And she didn't want to leave him either. I was wondering why she didn't say it was the Hound. She just said, "I saw her with a man." <laughs> you know, like, yeah, curious. I saw a girl with a man. <laughs> Maybe because Sansa might be afraid, more afraid for Arya if she knew it was the Hound. Yeah, it's just uh, it's also funny because Arya refers to herself as a girl this episode. Oh, you know? so, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, good Brienne's call. like, good I saw a girl with a man. You know, <laughs> and I, I like, you know, Sansa was like, you know, how how was she? Yeah, um, and. Brian's so funny. She's like, oh, she looked all right. You know, well, she wasn't exactly dressed like a lady. Yeah. And Sansa's like, no, I don't think that's her. She wouldn't be. Yeah. And she smiles when she says that, which shows mm-hmm. that she's missing Arya. And this is a huge moment. Arya has been missing forever. So we're fi- yeah. she's finding out that Arya is alive. You know, her family is being reborn. So season one. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Like crazy. it's been years probably. Maybe. And Sansa admits to Brienne here, like, she made a mistake in not going with her the first time. And Brienne's like, look, it was really a tough, 
Like I was a total stranger and you yeah. were with Baelish who you trusted at the time. Like, yeah, exactly. It was a hard decision to make. And but, but I've proved my loyalty now. I just wiped out all those guys that were coming after you. And Theon, Theon slash Reek at this point, I think he's still a little bit Reekish. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's definitely still but he's terrified. like Theon, you know, like he's panicking. He's yeah. like, we shouldn't be lighting fires. It's not safe. Oh my God. People he's, are like going uh, after us. Yeah. He's Theon now, but, but he's got PSD from his Reek experience. Like he's, he's scared. Still PTSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What did I say? PSD. 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 <laughs> PTSD. <laughs> PSD. PSD. The newest diseases. <laughs> um, Sansa is basically like, once we get up to John, Ramsey's not going to be able to get anywhere near us. And Theon's like, dude, I'm not going to the wall. Yeah. Like, John is going to kill me. Yeah. I've, he just can't. I've face killed his John brothers. Yet. I've done all this crap. I betrayed Rob. Yep. Um, you know, I beheaded Sir Roderick. What else did he do? Oh, he killed the farm boys. Yeah. He got Winterfell taken away. And I thought it was interesting. Sansa has the idea for, for Theon. She's like, take the black. Yeah. She's like really trying to help him. Yeah, well, I mean, she All your crimes seriously helped her, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Um, This is the beginning of Reek's redemption, you know, of the yeah. redemption, saving Sansa like that. For sure. He goes, I seriously do not want to be forgiven. I fucked up your family so much. Like, yeah, he doesn't I want, can't do this. He doesn't want to be forgiven. He wants redemption. He wants to earn the like the forgiveness you know like yes somebody does something bad you can forgive them without them actually doing anything to make up for it but he doesn't want to just be forgiven you know he wants to actually have an effect i think and he would also just right now he'd be too ashamed to be anywhere near john i think he yeah. just can't face john he's so fucked up still like yeah it might be just overload for him too to see John because they were like brothers. Exactly. And maybe he's he not can't. ready to like process all of this stuff in his mind. Yeah, exactly. It's just too much. Like he just can't see John. <laughs> like no. So Theon divulges to Sansa that he's not going up to the wall, and but that he would have, yeah. but that these two will keep her safe. And he says to her, "I would have died to get you there." And I loved that. It's such a powerful moment. Yeah, I love that because I really think that's true. It's so true. He he sacrificed himself already. He did. He gave himself With up the to hounds. the hounds. You know, like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. He's, so he's yeah. like, can I please take one of the horses? It's just like, <laughs> where are you going? And I love it. He goes, home. Home. Yep. Which is the name of the episode, yeah. obviously. Great acting. So we get, we get home a few, a few places in yeah. this episode. And in places where you like, where it's not explicitly stated, like Cersei sniffing, uh, Tommen's hair mm -hmm. for that sensation that, you know, that, that, that association. It's definitely a familiar that, that feeling. feeling of home. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Theon does a great job of acting here too. How he like, can't look at Sansa directly in the face when he's saying home, for instance, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, really good. So good. Anything else uh, you have for notes? Nope, that's it for me. I guess I'll just add that um, Theon here is like, you can tell he's really, really trying hard. And uh, as they embrace, it's emo it's like really emotional for both of them. Sansa has, has really has begun to f the process of forgiving 
Theon and uh, totally. You can tell they both start to cry, and they're that they like in their hearts they've formed another like a, a connection, a bond with each other. At this point, it's powerful that people who are at such odds can come together under circumstances like this and really try to help each other and uh, be there for each other and forgive. You yeah, know, like it's That's sort a of lot like. To forgive. Uh, yeah, it's sort of like John and that the mag, new Magnar of Then when you know when they're when going push back came to in. shove, they did something together. Yeah, and they ha- and they respected each other. Yeah, they both tried to go in there and get that dragon glass. So yeah, yeah, that's it. That wraps up my notes as well. Nice. <laughs> oh, I also wanted to say Theron, Theron, because <laughs> 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 um, did you ever see Game of Jones? No, I don't think so. Leslie Jones, the uh, the girl f- woman from Saturday Night Live. She, there's oh, a when skit. she watches it, yeah, like, she keeps she's calling. Out. Yeah, she, she keeps calling Theon Theron. Theron, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Doesn't Varys surprise her? Yeah, and he's like, it's not yeah, Theron, okay, it's Theon. No, no R. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's funny. So yeah, Theron just can't face John yet. <laughs> And he's heading home. Yep, home. All right. Stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. And we're back with Game of Thrones and History from HistoryCollection.co. Ten historical parallels to Game of Thrones. The Medici and the Iron Bank. Two truisms govern the financial world of Westeros. One, a Lannister always pays his debts. And two, the Iron Bank will have its due. The Iron Bank lurks behind the scenes from the very first season. Ned arrives to find that the throne is in considerable debt, owing half to the Lannisters and half to the Iron Bank. Even Tywin, the all-powerful paterfamilias of the House Lannister, fears the Iron Bank, acknowledging its power as a monolithic entity that can neither be evaded, lied to, or avoided. Institutional money lending stretches back well into antiquity, with interest rates required on gold deposits in ancient Mesopotamia, 2000 BC, and examples of pawnbroking attested in classical Greece but we don't see anything quite as formidable as the Iron Bank until the Medici in 15th century Italy. Combining sound financial investments with political cunning and pure luck, the Medici family went on to finance and indeed produce popes and bankroll kings. The money they used, however, poured back into their city, Florence, partly to keep the facade that the city was still a republic and there was no all-powerful ruling family. Crazy. I would argue the Iron Bank is a strong parallel to the Federal Reserve as well. Yes, definitely. The article goes on, The Iron Bank of Bravos makes a strong appearance in the seventh season, represented by Mycroft Holmes in disguise as Tycho Nestoris. One way they make their fortune is by financially investing in those they think who will ultimately win, or, as Mycroft Holmes puts it, investing in the endeavor's we deem likely to be successful. But as the show makes clear, the vicissitudes of war are the biggest enemy of certainty. After being persuaded by Sir Davos, the Iron Bank invested considerably in Stannis Baratheon, but his decapitation led him to defaulting on his debt. Yeah, 
unfortunate loss for the Iron Bank. Davos convinced him to lend all that money to Stannis, and then he got his head cut off. So, uh, yeah, that sucks to be them. The article continues, We have parallels between the Iron Bank and the Medici during the War of the Roses. The Medici's London branch got into serious trouble after lending to the usurper Edward IV who owed the Medici 10,500 pounds. He ultimately defaulted, as did his enemies, the Lancastrian rebels who also owed the Medici a considerable amount, but never saw to their debt being repaid. So that's like Stannis defaulting, Robert defaulting, (laughs) etc. This failure brought businesses at the London branch to a close and marked the beginning of the end for the Medici's monopoly over European banking. The Air Across the Narrow Sea. It is well known that George R.R. Martin based much of A Song of Ice and Fire on the War of the Roses, even admitting it himself during an interview in 2000. The three-decade struggle was fought between the houses of York and Lancaster from the mid to late 15th century and arose from the mental infirmity of the monarch Henry VI. Think Ares Targaryen. Mad King style. (laughs) Yeah, Two and feuding houses, each with claims to the throne. The War of the Roses was a civil war, but as with all conflicts of this kind, civil is a staggering misnomer. Whether due to geographical proximity or diverging ideologies, civil wars are often the bloodiest and most devoid of mercy. The Battle of Toton... In 1471, which saw the Yorkist Edward IV take the throne from the Lancastrian Henry VI, was perhaps the bloodiest in English history, a staggering 28,000 on both sides, staining the snowstorm-coated battlefield red with their blood. The extent to which Martin borrowed from the War of the Roses means there's something to say about almost every character. Ned Stark finds parallels with Richard of York, King Joffrey with Edward of Westminster, I'm going to focus on one comparison, Daenerys Targaryen and Henry Tudor. Both Daenerys and Henry were raised in exile because their claim to the throne as direct descendants of the previous monarch put their lives in danger. But their legitimacy was largely overlooked until the deaths of their heirs apparent. In Danny's case, Viserys... In Henry's, Henry VI and his son Edward. Sensing his opportunity, Henry crossed the channel from France to Wales in 1485, not with a Dothraki horde, but with an army of 2,000 French mercenaries. From there, he went to defeat the the Yorkists at the Battle of Bosworth Field, becoming the last English monarch to win the throne in battle. King Richard III was killed during the battle. His supposed last words... A horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse, (laughs) immortalized by Shakespeare in his eponymous play. Lost for centuries, Richard's corpse was recently discovered under a car park in Leicester, Leicester, exhumed, and then buried again at the slightly nobler site of the Leicester Cathedral. We're going to have to wait and see how much of Henry's reigning years finds echoes in Daenerys. But knowing Martin, one thing's for sure. It's unlikely to be plain sailing. What was that? Do you hear that? (laughs) Sir Matthew of House Rep. So much went on in this episode. Not only do we have Bran returning home to Winterfell in a vision seeing his young father, aunt, and uncle, but we have Theon's uncle returning home to the Iron Islands. 
Euron is one of my favorite characters in the book. He's just so twisted. It's a shame we get this watered-down version in the show. But I understand D&D need to make some alterations to wrap things up. I find it interesting that Gregor is a Kingsguard to Tommen, but it but seems ready to disobey a direct order from the king and murder Lannister soldiers at the behest of the Queen Mother. Good point. Yeah, really good point. So much for Northern loyalty for the Starks. We have the Car Starks here, and the Umbers next episode declare for Ramsay. Speaking of which, that close knife to Roos's heart perfectly echoes Roos stabbing Rob in season three. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Yeah, good point. Nice feedback. Yeah. Lady Lucy of House Jane. I love the scene with Davos and the Night's Watch. I've never been much of a fighter. I I apologize for what you're about to see. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. I think it's interesting that Tormund refers to the wildlings as my men when he says that he will send them to get wood for the bodies. My men rather than the men. Yeah, interesting. Mm, True. I think it's really telling how insightful Marcella was and knew that Jamie is her father, whereas Tommen seems to be completely clueless. <laughs> True. <laughs> That's great. Jamie's loyalty and courage really stands out in this episode. He loves Cersei with all of his heart, which just shows how hard it must be when he eventually leaves her. Great point. Totally. In that m- moment at Marcella's side, talking to the High Sparrow, I think Jamie finally gets how dangerous they are. Before that point... I think he has just dismissed them as fanatics. I do too. Yeah. Like when they start surrounding him, he's, he's like, like, oh, oh man, they people. mean business. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> is it ever actually said that Tyrion is alcohol dependent? <laughs> <laughs> it's alluded to, but I'm not sure it's ever said outright. I think this is the season when it's most obvious. I couldn't agree more with that. <laughs> I love how the second dragon, I can never tell which is which, turns his head to Tyrion once he has freed the first one. Simple way of showing how intelligent they are, I thought. I'm with you. I can never tell which dragon is which either. <laughs> the green one is Viserion. They all look the same to me. <laughs> Even really? the colors, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> Rhaegal is kind of like gold. Yeah, because you were talking about earlier how they have like all these individual features, and I was like, man, I can't, I can't tell. Yeah. I don't know why. I find it really hard to watch Arya so helpless, and I fucking hate the wave. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to yep. see Roos dead. He's the person who was holding on to Ramsay's lead. Oh, totally true. Ramsay is just a mad dog now, free from any kind of restraint. Yes, that's great, too, because that Completely echoes what, uh, what Ruth said, that you act like a mad dog, you get treated like a mad dog. Mm-hmm. And his death is the uh, the removal of the master of the mad dog, basically. Yeah. Do you think Ramsay planned to kill Ruth? Yes, I do. Yes, I do, too. I do not think it was spur of the moment, which is her next question. (laughs) (laughs) Why doesn't Brienne tell Sansa that Arya was with the Hound? Does she think it would scare her? Yeah, I agree. I think think so. She probably doesn't know of Sansa's experience with the Hound, or maybe she does. Maybe Podrick told her, and that's why she doesn't want to tell her. And the end scene, does everyone else hold their breath until John breathes again? Oh, yeah. Um, Me, I'm over here raising my hand. (laughs) I don't think I breathed much this the whole episode, basically. Yeah. <laughs> the tension with the mountain when he's like almost going to kill all these people and everything too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Lots of breath holding moments. 
Lady Sarah of House Larkham. Loved all the remaining wildlings running into Castle Black. It was epic, and 1-1 smashing the Night's Watch guy against the wall was so brutal, but also really funny at the same time. Definitely. We see Ned's young younger brother Benjen as a kid and Ned is about to be off to the Vale to be taught by John Aaron where he will meet Robert Baratheon. It looked like Willis, a.k.a. Hodor, had a crush on Lyanna. <laughs> Brienne mentioning to Sansa that she saw Arya and Brienne saying she wasn't acting ladylike made Sansa laugh a bit. Theon telling Sansa that he's going back to the Iron Islands makes Sansa plead to come with her and Brienne and Pod to Castle Black, but Theon says that John will kill him. Flash forward to when John sees Theon at Dragonstone and doesn't kill him because Theon helped Sansa escape Winterfell and Ramsay. Good point. Yara standing up to creepy Balon, and when Balon is crossing the bridge, we see Euron for the first time, and he kills Balon. We also meet Aaron Greyjoy, the Salt Priest, which we saw back in season two when Theon returned home to ask his father to help Rob. Oh, I didn't. I don't remember seeing him back then. Good catch. Yeah, I do. I remember that. Nice. Ramsay kills Roos exactly the same way Roos kills Rob Stark in the heart at the Red Yeah, Wedding. we didn't talk about that. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> that's two two Karma. listeners. <laughs> I like how Sansa basically initiated that also and, and got revenge for Rob. It's cool. Triggering Ramsay to do it for her, basically. Mm-hmm. I couldn't watch when Ramsay took Walda and her son. I couldn't watch when Ramsay took Walda and her son to feed to his hounds. This foreshadows Ramsay's death by the hounds in episode nine. Yes, it does. Absolutely. It's horrible. It's so horrible and uh, not a fate you'd really w- wish on anybody. Uh, no, that's for sure. Next, we have Sir Patrick of Hindsight. So when Lyanna enters the gates and rides circles around her brothers, exact mirror of Yara doing that to Theon back when the courtyard filled up with drowned men. Oh, at Winterfell, nice. too. Yes, that's at Winterfell. Great, dude. We get the line about the sea is beautiful, but stay too long and you'll drown. Guys, Bran is the drowned god. <laughs> He gets lost at sea when Jamie kills him before his own birth, when he is inhabiting the Mad King's body. We learn in this episode that dragons are as smart as men or smarter. Good luck trying to war again to one next season, Bran Muffin. <laughs> Bran Muffin. <laughs> great. You'll probably just end up repeating burn them all over and over and over. <laughs> he goes on to say, I'm in the midst of listening to Sons of the Harpy right now. Forgive me if I am speaking too soon, but it seems that... You gloss over the fact that Rhaegar unseated Barristan in the lists. Yeah, damn. That's right. Sure, a case could be made that Barristan would let Rhaegar win, considering he advises right Robert that no one would dare unhorse a king. But oh, the lore states... That, that reminds me of uh, one of the Duncan Egg novellas. The Kingsguard won't harm the royal family members, so they use that against one of the teams in a trial by combat. Oh. Um, so, yeah. It's Crazy. pretty funny. They manipulate the victory by uh, sending the one of the royal family members to fight with the Kingsguard because they know they won't fight back, basically. So maybe Barristan is, uh, lets himself be unseated because he can't <laughs> strike a, a member of the yeah. royal family. Nice. Interesting. 
Sir Patrick continues, but the lore states that Rhaegar also unseated Arthur Dane in that tourney, and Dane had unhorsed him in the prior tourney. So we know that Dane doesn't pull his punches. <laughs> what I'm getting at is this. Rhaegar was the best fighter of his time. If Robert beat him in the trident, Rhaegar let him win. Damn. It's just as likely that Rhaegar wasn't at the trident and that it was a stand-in wearing Rhaegar's armor. Yep. Same episode, Bar Barristan recounts how he and Rhaegar would disguise themselves as common folk. True. Having a penchant for disguise is an aptitude that gets you noticed by the faceless men. Mm. Why do you think Jockin displays so much favorism towards Arya? He's Rhaegar. Oh, his that would be Arya's uncle. Yep. <laughs> the trident leads straight to salt pans from where the ship leads towards Bravos. On the subject of Batman, a few episodes back, Dun Duncan quips that Jamie is set to infiltrate Dorne, like he's Batman. Come on, Jamie. Barristan is Batman. Yeah. <laughs> well, considering that Jamie squired for Barristan against the smiling knight, I would say that means that Jamie is Robin. <laughs> nice. <I love> it. <laughs> also, regarding Batman, the sense of the harpy killing Barristan is somewhat apt because this underground organization of mass elitists is the analog for the Court of Owls in Gotham lore. Ooh. Tying it all together, Jockin Agar equals Ray Jagul, Faceless Man equals League of Shadows, well, at the House of Black and White equals Lazarus Pit. Interesting. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, that was really cool. Thanks for writing, man. Good to hear from you. Yes, thanks, Sir Patrick. Lady Alicia of House Stout. A quick comment with regards to Season 6, Episode 2, Home. Why do you think Jon Snow had the ability of being resurrected by the Red Woman? Could it be that he is like Beric Dondarrion and he can die and be brought back to life with a Red Priest? I guess we Maybe. may or may not find out in Season 8 since he has only died once on the show so far. I'm also currently, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, maybe it's because he has royal blood. Maybe it's just purely the Lord of Light with a red woman. Gotta wonder. I'm also currently watching season six, episode six, Blood of My Blood, and holy heck, I never caught the lines from Benjen before when he told Bran about his journey beyond the wall. Quote, a white walker stabbed me in the gut with a sword of ice, left me there to die, to turn. The children found me, stopped the White Walker's magic from taking hold. Bran says, how? Benjen says, the same way they, they made the White Walkers in the first place. You saw it yourself. Bran says, Dragonglass. Wow, so Dragonglass will kill the White Walkers, but also save people from turning into them? So cool. And that reminded me of some research that my sister did at Connecticut College um, on cocaine. Oh, really? Yeah, she discovered that if you do not have schizophrenia, cocaine will induce symptoms of schizophrenia with some people. And she discovered that if you do have schizophrenia, cocaine will reduce symptoms of schizophrenia for people. So it can both cause and eliminate symptoms of schizophrenia. Ew, sort of that's the way, crazy. Yeah, sort of the way dragonglass can both create and prevent white walkers. <laughs> which is Coke pretty interesting. Up. Yeah, coke them up. <laughs> Classic. Nice. Thanks, Thanks for writing, for writing in, everybody. in, everybody. Yeah. 
All right, that's our show, episode 94. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, thank you, guys. And thank you to John Bailey, the epic-voiced guy from Honest Trailers, for announcing our show. Boobs. Boobs. (laughs) If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of GOM. We'd also like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lady Terry of House Theodore, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, and Luke the Low Duke. Thank you guys so much for your support. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the brainchild of Johnny Stitches. It's a serialized horror drama podcast taking place in the fictional city of Morston, Texas, featuring me playing mayor of Morston, Malik Husto, and Archmaster Stitches as Johnny Stitches. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pie Romancer. It was so awesome having her on last yeah, episode. For sure. I love her. Love I her love you, on. Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> She's been key behind the scenes working to get gameofmicrophones.com up and running. She's also a crazy amazing artist. Yeah. So check out her amazingly illustrated children's book, The People You May See, available now on Amazon.com. I'm going to have a piece that she did of Drogon on display on my set. Yes. Which is nice. Love it. I would love to see that. It's great. You can check some of her work out at fineartsbylisa.com, Instagram.com slash fineartsbylisa and facebook.com slash by Lisa. Next episode, we'll be covering season six, episode three, Oathbreaker. Yes. Yeah, sounds fun. <laughs> Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. And while you're there, give us a like and review. Imp Oh! You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. Likes, comments, and shares are also appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. I met a man who came back from the dead, but the priest who did it, it shouldn't have been possible. But it was, and it could be now. Not for me. Not for you. I saw you drink poison that should have killed you. I saw you give birth to a demon made of shadows. Everything I believed, the great victory I saw in the flames, all of it was a lie. You were right all along. The Lord never spoke to me. Fuck him, then. Fuck all of them. I'm not a devout man, obviously. Seven gods, drowned gods, tree gods. It's all the same.
I'm not asking the Lord of Light for help. I'm asking the woman who showed me that miracles exist. I never had this gift. Have you ever tried? Oh shit! No dispute. <laughs> sorry, no offense. Sorry. About that. <laughs> Didn't mean to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so beautiful. Totally. And Varys has some big balls. I mean, he has no balls, but he's got metaphorical balls. I'm here to help. Don't eat the help. Don't eat the help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He sees him free Rhaegal and he's like... Me too, me too. <laughs> how fucking baller Tyrion like, is. what just happened? Yeah, here. the ultimate gangster. I mean, one of the cool lines from the books is that even a small man can cast a large shadow. Ooh, I love that. And I think that Tyrion in that dark chamber with that torch just cast a really huge shadow. Mostly I have wine glasses that say for Fox's sake on them. Or intoxicated. <laughs> <For Fox laughs> My favorite is intoxicated. <laughs> Classic. Embellishing this story about when Cersei's, Cersei's doing her shame walk. Half inch shy of an inch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, he's like, you all know me. You know, I wouldn't lie about this. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> oh my God. And if Gregor wasn't already going to kill him ruthlessly, um, he definitely now earned he it by pissing all over on. his armor. Yeah. This guy is so drunk. So drunk. He can't He's even like, stand Duh. up. <laughs> and the look on his face is hilarious. And the just the effortless speed and force displayed by the mountain here, it's mesmerizing. It's horrible what he's doing, but I don't know. It's just hilarious to me. I know. The White Walkers. <laughs> the White Walkers? Seriously? What the fuck is wrong with me right now? <laughs> the Night's Watch. And so one one gets shot in the shoulder and picks this guy up and just rails him against the wall. Ragdolls him. Throws him in front of Alistair like, seriously? Balon's like, he's all like pissed off. <laughs> Sketchy ass rope bridges. In a freaking wind rainstorm. Yeah, there's this gnarly storm outside. This rickety ass bridge. Swinging all over the place. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to go on that bridge. <laughs> I think I would. It's kind of cool. Standing there because he has sea legs. He's got sea legs, matey. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And we're like, what the fuck is a king's moot? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, what good am I? You know, I, I thought it was funny. It was, it was kind of a lucid moment where he realizes his own worthlessness. <laughs> you suck, Tommen. Oh, poor Tommen. I feel so <laughs> bad for Tommen. Yeah, totally. He bitch slapped the gods. Yeah, bitch slapped the gods. That's great. <laughs> Outtake real. Wow, I'm dumb, basically. And he's like, Willis, and says his name. And Hodor's like, Hodor. You know, like, yeah. And he's like, I saw you. What what happened? Because you didn't learn yet how he got Hodor'd. Mm -hmm. I'm so sad. He, Hodor can't tell him. He's just like, Hodor. But that's what's so funny is that's what happened to him. And again, he just, Hodor. He just can't say shit, man. She just walks right in. I'm like, oh my God. Do not go in there, girlfriend. You know, and uh, like, why would Roos be in the kennels? And as horrible as all of this is, this is an epic one-liner from Ramsey. 
I prefer being an only child. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Ugh. man. So twisted. Fuck. And it just whistles the dogs and, uh, you know, yeah. they'll be eaten for a few days for sure. Please. And I'm going to hug you now. Yeah. Her, 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 dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and one one smashing the night's watch guy against the wall was so brutal but also really funny at the same time definitely oh, yeah. wow i think i nailed that <laughs> like, uh, yeah i think you did <laughs> good job wow having a pinch coat for disguise coke him up <laughs> yeah coke him up <laughs> classic thanks for listening that was so Valley Girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks for listening. Thanks for okay. listening. Oh my god. Ew. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.